Welcome, fellow brave believers. I'm Sean, and this is Kingdom in Context. I want to thank you for joining me tonight. We're going to have a fun roundtable discussion on the topic of did the Son of God, Yeshua of Nazareth, did he pre-exist before being born of a woman on the earth? I think it's going to be fun, and we have some wonderful guests to join us. Um, and let's, without further ado, we can just bring them on in. All right, this is our brother John Lawson from the self-titled channel, John Lawson. He does hey. some wonderful animated videos. Thanks for coming on, John. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, brother. We also have Matthew Jansen from Ministers of the New Covenant. Welcome, brother. Oh, I'm going to take you off mute here. Hey, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, brother. I'm excited. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for being here. And then also without, uh, without needed introduction on my channel, West Blaze Music, co-host of Uncommon Ground uh, from the self-titled channel, West Blaze Music. This is our brother, West Blaze. Welcome. Shalom, family. Good to see y'all. Happy to be here. And I see you're sitting in front of the seven domes. Under the giving seven your shalom. Domes. That's right. Yes, sir. That's great. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us, guys. We, we wanted to, um, we've heard this idea and I've heard, I've watched a video about, um, I think it's commonly ascribed to Unitarian belief that the son of God did not pre-exist before being born uh, on the earth. Is that correct? Did I'm getting that right? Yeah. That's yeah. Correct. Yeah. I guess you would say, uh, if, if you guys are all in agreement with us that Yeshua is not the most high creator and that, uh, he is the Messiah though. Um, we, we would all be considered Unitarian, but, uh, what divides us, I guess, it's a poor lack of a better term, but what divides us was, would be those who believe he preexisted versus those who believe he did not preexist, um, in a literal conscious way. And the Trinitarians would just call you heretic, right? Is that, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been a heretic oh, yeah. for years. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that as well. Just call you anathema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, but, uh, but, but, you know, one thing or a few things we agree on, like we all four of us would believe that Yeshua is the son of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite lines I heard from Brother Sean, I was watching a debate one time and the guy said, well, before we start, I don't think I quite understand who you believe Yeshua is. And Brother Sean just very simply said, well, I believe he's the son of Yahweh. And he just left it at that. And I was like, Bravo, that's good, my brother. <laughs> so we can agree on that. And we um, we agree that Yeshua is the sent Savior and the high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. Um, I think, and I've watched a few of Brother Sean's teachings on this in the past, I think we agree that Yeshua was not the angel of Yahweh in the Old Testament, too. Yeah, is that my, correct? My understanding is that it would not be Yeshua. That would be either mostly Michael or even Yahweh. But I'm thinking mostly Michael. Yeah. See, I was ignorant to that, and I was like, "Man, if they go down that route, that'll take a whole hour itself." So <laughs> that, that makes things a little easier. Yeah, and then and then we all agree on the Torah, the law of Yahweh, the yep. instructions of Yahweh. So we, there's a lot more that we agree on than we disagree on, which I'm so thankful for that. So mm-hmm. absolutely, and this is, is for everyone that's watched my channel that's seen any of the other roundtable discussions. You probably have picked out a few places in all of the roundtable discussions where some of the, you know, some of the guests don't agree with each other or with me or whatever. Um, and so that's fine. We, we love diversity in thought and understanding. Uh, obviously, the core concepts, all four of us tonight, we agree. Yes. And um, there is there's like Yeshua says, there's one true God. And then he sent his son to be our Messiah and high priest. And right. so um, I love little things that that are glazed over um, because of church tradition 
um, kind of like in, in Revelation 2, 20, uh, 25 through 27, Yeshua talks about, you know, if you overcome, I'll give you the right to sit on the throne with me, just like I overcame and sit on the throne with my father. And then in Revelation 21, 26, or 22, excuse me, the father, the almighty and the son are the temple, right? They are the holy of holies. They are in the new Jerusalem. Yes. Um, this is something that I think a lot of people forget is that, uh, you know, it's when when we go to the new Jerusalem, which is our inheritance, the inheritance of the saints, Isaiah 54, 17, um, at, after the resurrection, and we walk into that wonderful heavenly country that Abraham longed for, we're going to be able to see the father and the son. Mm, so that's yes. that's a beautiful thought. A lot of people kind of, you know, um, I know that we've already mentioned this word Unitarian. Um, and then we, we made a joke about Trinitarian theology, which is the dominant held theology um, just through church tradition. But yeah. that's, you know, from the last three, four hundred years uh, before that in Europe, it was dominantly held uh, through enforcement. But we won't mm -hmm. get into uh, some of the uglier points of, of history. But basically, the Trinitarian thought process, it actually, you know, kind of muddies the waters, if I could put it like that. And you guys are welcome to kind of, you know, add on to some of this this loose descriptive language. But it kind of muddies the waters and really takes a lot of the focus off the father because it mm -hmm. seems to make Jesus everything. You know, Man. and that's just not what we feel. The Bible clearly describes a specific role for the son. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And so tonight, even though we have all this wonderful things in agreement, I think um, I think what we don't agree on is is when the son actually existed. Right. right. So you guys have seen me debate Trinitarians, even though tonight's not a debate, it's a discussion. You guys see me actually do a, you know, a back and forth style um uh, heated discussion, not on my end, but <laughs> heated, <laughs> heated uh, towards me discussion um, when Trinitarians who do not like the fact that that I would I'm not willing to go along with the mantra language of nice. the eternal son. And I think that's what you were referring to uh, earlier, Matthew, when you said you heard me answer that question and just say he's the son of Yahweh. Like instead of saying he's the eternal son, which is what they want you to say. Um and so yes. they they get very upset with that idea is that and so that would be just as a general blanket for everyone watching who may not understand why are we talking about this if it's such a point it's not a point of contention because none of us are contentious with each other about this topic it's right. just simply we wanted to get together and say you know what this may be really edifying for the for the viewers dig in your bibles look at these verses what we'll be referencing tonight and the perspectives brought towards them and we think everyone will have a good time so, yes, Westblaze, yes. anything you want to say before? I'd like to turn the floor over to John and, and Matthew for a few minutes to kind of expound upon what they feel they believe. But before we do, is there anything you want to say? Um, maybe just kind of open it up to say that from my understanding of Scripture and studying alongside with Sean, that we would hold that Yeshua is the firstborn of all creation, right? That he was the beginning of the creation of God um, and that he did, in fact, exist before the sun and moon and stars and the earth were created, as Enoch would tell us and a number of other passages, according to my understanding and interpretation. But I'm very interested to understand uh, how y'all reached the conclusions you've reached. And uh, yeah. I'd love to, to speak about it with you guys. Yeah, there's another thing we agree on. So we don't believe that Yeshua is eternal past. That's what I gathered from you two brothers. Yeah. We do believe Yeshua is eternal future. I think y'all yeah. would agree with that but not eternal past. So that's another thing we can agree on. Hallelujah. Yeah. I know that when you hear me talking in some of the interviews and debates with the Trinitarians, well, they'll say, um, well, so are you saying that Jesus was created? And they just keep going back to that concept of, are you claiming he was created? 
And I'm like, let's slow your roll for a minute. I'm just saying the scriptures don't tell us when mm-hmm. like they in our in my understanding, it, they do tell us that he was with the father before the world was created. Right. But before right. that, it doesn't say when or if Yeshua eternally existed or came forth the father. To me, in my understanding, it okay. does say at some point he came forth from the father. And that's probably the best language I can use because that's what I see scriptures say. We um, got it. He was, yeah, it, well, it's so funny how that he, that Greek word means uniquely created, you know what I mean? And so um, what does that look like without a woman there, without the, 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 the trappings of mankind with a male and a female and a womb of a woman to birth a baby? What does it look like where the father, before all the things that we understand as reality, before everything existed, how did the father bring forth his son? Um, and so, you know, that I don't, I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell me. So that I just, you know, I'm kind of. I'm done right there in my thought process. Whereas the Trinitarian mindset will say you can't be done right there because that makes him created. Mm -hmm. They don't like that. They want him eternally being existent with the father and co-equal to the father, which is wholly unscriptural. But, um, and so they say, if you don't think that they're co-eternal and co-equal, then, you know, you're, you're out of the faith. It's such a weird point of division to argue about because it literally is not stated in scripture as a, as a, as a qualifier for the faith. Right, right. Let's see you, brothers. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, firstborn, Colossians one fifteen, I think is where Brother West was going with. Firstborn of every creature. I've told people, like, if I say, you know, this is the firstborn of my sheep, that means the firstborn belongs to the category of the sheep. So if I raise a flock of sheep. So if I say firstborn of every creature, then that means Yeshua is in the category of a creature. He's separate from Yahweh. Yahweh is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise ale, Paul wrote to Timothy, and Yeshua is the, the firstborn of every creature. Some newer translations actually gloss over that, and they, they translate it firstborn over every creature, and that's not correct, actually, from the Greek there. So, When I study the word firstborn, uh, we see that Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, or Ishmael and Isaac, and uh, the second son, and it says in Hebrews as his firstborn because it's the firstborn from the promise uh, of the heir to, to, to the coming Messiah. So the firstborn can obviously be to be firstborn or it could be in rank and importance. Um, Isaac was and is by promise more important than Ishmael, even though he came second because he was the promised son to Abraham, even though he was not technically firstborn. And so Yeshua from our perspective, born in the first century, long after thousands of humans were born, is the firstborn by rank and importance and honor. And so he's the firstborn of all creation in status and, and rank, but not in time like in Genesis. Yeah, we see that word firstborn used in a variety of contexts, yeah. uh, in my experience. Um, I'm pretty sure, I think it's Jeremiah 32 or 31, um, it talks about Ephraim is the firstborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is Yahweh speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, saying that Ephraim is my firstborn. We also see that language in Exodus chapter four with Yahweh speaking to Moses, um, talking about Israel as my firstborn. Now, if mm-hmm. anyone that has read their Bible understands that Israel is different from Ephraim. Um, and so this is, you know, we have two different characters being mentioned, um, even though Ephraim is sometimes lumped in with the tribe of Joseph in references, especially in the middle books of the Bible. But ultimately, um, very few times do you see an overall reference for the, all of Israelites being referred to him as Ephraim because that was a part of the northern house. 
But before the Northern and the Southern house was a thing during the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, back in the days of Moses, when it was all just the tribe of Israel, even the entirety of the tribe of Israel is referred to as a firstborn in Yahweh's language. So I think it's interesting that, um, yes, I, I would concede that that kind of language can be used in different contexts. Um, just to piggyback I, off what you're saying, too, uh, I never thought of it till you just said it, that Israel's called the firstborn, and we know they're not the first people to, to be born, right? Adam and Eve were. Yeah, and so the, to me, the, to me, and you guys can help me understand if you have a different understanding, but um, to me, the, the context of, of that mentioning is the fact that he wanted them to be a set-apart nation um, who would become a, a nation of priests and kings, therefore mm -hmm. qualifying them. That was what the firstborn of a family was supposed to be, to get passed down from the patriarch of the family, both the priesthood and the leadership of the family, the birthright and the eldership, as we see Jacob um, gets that instead of Esau uh, mm -hmm. through a series, series of circumstances. But um, but ultimately, in the context of Colossians 1.15, as well as I think it's Revelation 3.14, I don't know if that's the context. It seems to say that the context is more than just um, some sort of family passing on of, of authority. Uh, so it's just interesting. interesting. Yeah, so I would agree with John that firstborn, and, and you, Sean, that firstborn can mean in rank. Um, I think the Colossians 1 text is talking about Yeshua being the firstborn in rank and in time. I just think that the creation mentioned in Colossians 1 isn't the Genesis creation, but is the new creation. He's the firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1, I think, verse 18 or 19 says. So he's the first man to inherit immortality, that, that everlasting life in, in that way. And what's created in Colossians 1 um, isn't, birds, trees, uh, land, etc., but thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. Paul uses this uh, kind of verbiage in his epistle to the Ephesians where he says that he makes out of Jew and Gentile one new man, that's new, new creation. And then Yeshua, when he ascends into heaven, Yeshua gives gifts, and the gifts he gives are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastoring teachers. Um, these are all part of the, the thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers that uh, were created uh, through or by uh, Yeshua. Yahweh first, but through or by Yeshua. So it, I do this, think it's rank and, and, uh, and order in Colossians 1. Is this the passage you're referring to here? Yes. 15 yes. through 16. Uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that all things being created is referencing... Church new hierarchy. creation. Yeah, the new creation. So if, if you'll notice, it says um, uh, visible or invisible. And then it tells you what is talking about, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So this isn't this isn't Genesis one and two language uh, with the creation of uh, the, the earth and the trees and the animals and human beings. But it's a reference to the new creation which he is the head of in rank and also the head of in, in order as it calls him the firstborn from the dead. I think it's in verse 18 uh, or yeah, 19. I was going to say 17 and 18 also is mm -hmm. a great, um, great. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely in 18 that. it says the word church. He's the head of the body of the church beginning and firstborn from among the dead. That's about the resurrection. Um, mm -hmm. But you guys don't think this passage here is referring to things that would be outside of the scope of, of the authority structure of the church 
of the new creation? No, I mean, you know, he's the head of the assembly, but, you know, he's also in charge of angels, which is what the mm -hmm. whole context of Colossians, 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 Colossians was, was about is that they were beginning to worship angels, thinking that Yeshua was below the angels in some way, not to oversimplify the book. But the author of Colossians had to set the tone like he is above us and the angels in heaven. So he's over all things at the right hand of the most high. And so, yeah, he has to include both heaven and earth when it comes to his status and, and authority as the head of the assembly, head of the angels, head of everything. Okay, um, so It's about establishing his rank and not when was he uh, born. And how would you guys interpret this part of the passage here that I have highlighted? For in him, all things were created. Go I think it, it's talking about I think it's talking about the new creation. So I don't think it's talking about the Genesis creation. So okay. all things were created in him. And the context is. The new, the new creation, um, one new man, Jew and Gentile, uh, the gifts that Yeshua gave from heaven, um, that he is the firstborn from the dead. He's the first man, the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. Um, uh, a lot of times Bible readers or Christians, I should say, nominal Christians don't understand Yahweh is in the process of, of a new creation. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I understand that text. Now, we, we really didn't. We really haven't laid out why we why would we in, interpret a text like this? Oh yeah, let's let's uh, step way. back. Then. Let's step back then. You guys, yeah, I'll share away. Well, I'll be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so so, and and brother John, you step in. I think brother John and I are pretty much in full agreements on this subject. But so we believe that based upon previous revelation in the Older Testament, the Tanakh, that the promised Redeemer or the Messiah was to be a human Israelite from the lineage of David through the tribe of Judah. I think that's what everybody was anticipating based upon the Hebrew Bible. Texts like Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. Uh, Genesis 49.8-10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah or a lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh come. Um, Deuteronomy 18, Yahweh says a prophet like Moshe, he'll raise up from among the brethren, not from, not literally like coming down from, from heaven, literally, but he, he'll be from among the brethren. Um, second Samuel seven, um, a prophecy, I think about the Messiah because Hebrews one quotes it where Yahweh says, I will be to him a father. He will be to me a son. Not I already am his father and he already is my son. And then there's a lot of texts in the Psalms that link the Messiah up with the lineage of King David. So even before we get into the Gospels, which I'd like to get into Matthew and Luke as time progresses and allows, we see the promise that the Redeemer and the Savior and the Messiah would be a human being. He'd be a son of man, Daniel 7, and he would definitely be an Israelite and specifically from David through the line of Judah. I'm pretty sure Brother John concurs with that. Yeah, and if I'm a bit repetitive with what Matthew's saying, it's just because I've written it down. I want to make sure I cover all the points that I wanted to sort of start this conversation off with. But the first one is obvious, but I just thought, let's start with the obvious. Uh, I believe Yeshua is 100% man, 100% human. And as we see, human beings don't pre-exist. Um, they exist once they're born as flesh and bone. Um, you guys don't believe he was an angel, but that was my second point. It was that whatever he was before a man, that is what he is. He just took on a human flesh, but he's not a true human. If he is X, Y, Z prior to 
becoming flesh and bone. Um, so he's something else that took on flesh and bone, but he's not a true human because true humans don't, uh, lack for a better term, incarnate, you know, from one thing to another. We just always have been human and we begin our existence through, you know, taking our first breath of air with our lungs and not through any sort of pre-existent spiritual, uh, you know. Number uh, The third point I want to bring in is uh, in Hebrews 1, it says that in these last days, he spoke to us through his son. So if Yeshua was in the beginning in Genesis, um, I always like to ask, where is he speaking to us? Uh, where do you see Yeshua speaking to us in the Old Testament? A lot of times people say, well, he didn't speak to us yet. And I said, OK, I, I respect that. But usually people say, well, he's right here. He's right there. He's the one visiting Abraham or he's, you know, X, Y, Z. And I got to say, well, then that in my opinion, I'm open to being wrong. But in my opinion, that contradicts Hebrews 1. It says in, in John, prior times the, with our, the, with our fathers. John, I'm sorry to interrupt you, brother, but you have the light of immortality is shining upon you right now. So <laughs> yeah, I just I turned it down. Okay. So, anyways, uh, just to backtrack a little, but you know, it, Hebrew says that in the in the former times he spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days spoke to us through his son. To me, that says he never spoke to us prior in any way with a pre-existent uh, person known as the son. Um, point four, and again, and this, don't, this, don't worry, some of these I don't have 100 are, points, but I'm okay, sorry. Well just, well, just for the sake of some interaction, some of these points sure. you're repeating from, from discussions you've had with other people, not things you've heard Wes and I talk about? Well, I'm more so uh, understanding what the our point of view is from a pre-existent point of view, like an Aryan point of view. So, like, for example, I guess we can get into it, but do you guys think that Yeshua was active or um, engaging with Israel or anyone in the Old Testament verbally, like sp speaking to him or whatnot? I think uh, there's a passage in Isaiah that's prophetic of the Messiah, Messiah that says he was um, concealed, like in, hidden in his quiver, in the father's quiver. And then as well as in Enoch a couple times, it says that he was concealed in the presence of the Most High and hidden. Yeah, I okay. think you're talking about... Um, um... Isaiah 42, Wes, and then it's also Enoch 48, but it's Isaiah 42. Now, just for the sake of clarity, um, John and, and Matthew, I, I just also so the audience understands, mm -hmm. in case you guys make any comments throughout some of the some of the verses we might pull from, um, am I right to have I heard from you both? Am, am I correct that you do not view Enoch as scripture? I don't know. Um, first, I, I first believe Enoch it's pseudo Okay. I, I haven't finished my study on that to speak. I, I can't. So I, I'm not knowledgeable enough to speak on first okay. Enoch. I have listened to you guys talk about first Enoch, about the concealment, like brother West just mentioned the concealment of the Messiah. And I guess I, I you know, I could study more about that in regards to Isaiah and first Enoch. Um, but I do believe in what sometimes the scholarly community calls ideal or notional preexistence. So I do believe that Yeshua, in a manner of speaking, existed in the mind and plan of God, similar to how, yeah, yeah, similar to how the author of Hebrews says that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, being in the loins of his father Abraham. So I, I have no problem with that. I just don't think that Yeshua was a conscious being, spirit being, before he 
I became a human being. I don't believe in the doctrine of, of the incarnation. I just yeah, think Yeshua was conceived yeah, or begotten. Exactly. We we believe in what's known as an idealistic idealistic preexistence, where in the mind in the plan of Yahweh, known as the Logos in John one one, uh, he had that plan of salvation and a coming son through the lineage of Judah from the beginning. It wasn't Plan B or C. It was always the first plan. And so, in that sense, I could see how he's hidden in the quiver, but not as a conscious being. Okay, so um, you guys said this, this verse here is the one you're referencing, that he was, this is just reference, is that, did I get that right? Sorry, I'm trying to multitask. I'm going to share. You're right good. Now. No, that is one verse that I was referencing, John 1, 1, or 1 through 3, where in the beginning was the word. We have to study the word word, which is the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S, and okay. it's a pretty dense, uh, heavy topic, but you, you know, kind of have to put your feet in the, some Greek sandals to understand how are they using this word in the first century? But to oversimplify it, and for the sake of time, well, we want to know. Wait, wait, wait! I'm sorry to interrupt you. We not on this channel. We don't have to oversimplify it here. You're talking. To, you know what? You don't have to oversimplify with us, brother. Oh yeah, no. I just, I just like to keep it simple. I, <laughs> I hear you, but, um, but if you're saying that this is a hinge point verse for you, um, and it all hinges on the definition or your study of the definition of the word word, um, we're we're glad to hear you out. Because yep, I, I yep. would, my first thought would be. How is he? How is the word was God if it's just simply the mind, the will, the intention, the first plan? Right. So, yeah, I, I, that's how I read it. In the beginning was the plan, purpose and desire uh, of salvation uh, was God and is is God or is Yahweh. OK, so is that what kind of definition of the word God are you using in that context? Then when I say God, I mean the father. OK, so the, the mind, plan and intention was God. Yeah, the part part of what makes you a person, and again, this is what I was trying to get at, is that you got to think like a Greek. There is the physical part of you, you know, where I can give you a hug or a high five, but then there's a part of you that's non-tangible. Your mind, your desires, your plan, your speech. If you wrote me a letter uh, and I received it, my wife said, who is it? I'd be like, oh, it's, it's Sean. Well, this is your logos. The letter on the paper isn't literally you, but it's the the logos of Sean. And so also the word or the Bible is the logos of the father. And so his plans and purpose and desire is his logos. And so his plan was to send a, send someone to die for our sins and resurrect and become our savior, high priest and king. And that became flesh. So in that interpretation to say that this, this Greek word logos, uh, that the text says was Elohim. So then you're saying that theos. Uh, the theos, yeah, sorry, the Greek theos. Um, so the the logos to theos is you're saying that it's not talking about an actual person. So I guess what I'm getting at is, do we see any other precedent in in the New Testament use of the word theos where God is is made metaphor of an idea or an intention? Well, I don't think it's like uh, you know God is this idea but more so that part of god is his ideas or his plan and so like when we see in genesis god spoke things into existence that was his logos and okay. uh, a lot of times you know when god spoke to israel or the people on earth they heard his voice or his logos but they didn't actually see him and so that's part of him but that's not the only part of him so yeshua is that plan exactly okay because when it says in the next sentence he using a singular personal pronoun, right? Mm -hmm. Masculine pronoun. He was in the beginning with the father. 
right. then it's the it's the next very the very next verse that I'm very curious, and I think I've already addressed part of that with Colossians one when we were talking about it. But all things came into being through him. And yeah, I take that as uh, Genesis language, where the word of Yahweh, his speech, he spoke things into existence, and everything that he created was through his logos. It's very similar to how you guys think, probably, because you're thinking that Yeshua is the firstborn of creation, and through Yeshua, as a conscious being, he created all things. The only difference is we think it's an idealistic preexistence of this non-person logos, and you guys are probably thinking it as kind of like the photo in that in that slideshow is pretty good, where Yeshua is sitting right there, um, being used as like a tool or a mouthpiece to create things, right? Oh, let me, can I interject? Yeah, sorry, Matthew. I was like looking at you to see if you want me to tag you in or not. No, 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 I don't want to interrupt. Um, so there's in John 1, 1, we start out with, with the Logos, and then obviously we get down to like the climax in John 1, 14, the word became flesh. I would say that Yeshua is what the word of Yahweh became. He is the culmination of Yahweh's word and wisdom. Mm. Um, uh, so, Logos, uh, the precedent for Logos is in the Septuagint. It's used over a thousand times. It never refers to a person. Mm -hmm. It's always a, a thought or a word or a plan. And it's very important that we recognize there's a difference between the God in John 1 1b and the word was with God and the God in John 1 1c and the word was God. In John 1 1b, when it says the word was with God, the Greek there is ton theon. It's a proper noun. The word theon is used with the article signifying the Almighty or Yahweh. In the John 1.1c, the last part in the word was God. It's just the word theos, and it's, it's qualitative in Greek grammar. It, it's used as an adjective. It's not used as a noun anymore. And this is why somebody like James Moffat, his translation would translate it, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was divine. And then... There's about eight English translations of uh, the New Testament prior to the King James Version that would go on to say something like this, like the Geneva, Matthews, Bishop's Bible, the Great Bible. The same was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through it, and apart from it, nothing came into being that has come into being. The it being neuter, referring back to the, to the logos, the plan or the word of Almighty Yahweh. Psalm 33, by the word of Yahweh were the heavens made and all the hosts by the breath of his mouth. Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light. So God is creating through his, his word. And then eventually he speaks his son into existence in the womb of the virgin Miriam. So the word becomes flesh or the word becomes a human being in tabernacles among us. Kind of like house plans that exist in the mind of a designer. You know, you got this great architect. He comes up with these plans. They're in his mind. He writes them out. Eventually, the house comes to fruition. You look at the house, and you can tell how intelligent the architect is by how great the house is built. But the house is not one-to-one -one equated with the, with the architect. The, the plans became a house, or the plans became flesh. This is kind of how I see John 1. And I do think this text is talking about the Genesis creation. Oh, you're muted, I think. Thank you. Yeah. And okay. And, and I Logos was cut off. Yeah. Wes Blaze, I think um, I've heard that interpretation before. Uh, do you have any thoughts to add to that? 
that your questions you have for that? Because I'm going to go to a scripture here in a minute. Well, so from my understanding, their interpretation, like things with like the firstborn, I agree that it can mean preeminence and authority. Um, but they're saying that it can't mean that he existed chronologically before everything else. I would hold that it's both. Whereas they're saying that the um, that he existed as a plan, but not physically, literally. Um, I would hold both that he that there was a plan for him, but that he also physically existed as the firstborn. But yeah, that's just my thoughts. I'm not sure how to to rebuttal a couple of the things they've said. So it's interesting. Yeah, if I could real quick, I just want to ask both you brothers, um, John and Matthew, about this passage here. So in Luke chapter one, um, how do you guys interpret? Oops, sorry. Hmm. Did it go to Luke chapter one? It did. Okay. So how do you guys interpret this here? Um, or the oh. angels talking to John and Mary and the yeah. Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Yes. What's the, what's the purpose for this whole event with the Holy Spirit overshadowing the mysterious pregnancy of Mary to the whole, you know, Matthew chapter one, Joseph wants to put her away quietly until an angel has to tell him what's up. So right, right. what's, what's, yeah. what's to be understood if, if, if it's not a, you know, uh, you know, godly incarnation um, through a virgin, um, yeah. then what, what do we make of this? So it's absolutely a virgin conception and virgin birth in Matthew one and Luke one. I think that's undeniable from the text. Um, but the, the uniqueness here is that Mary has been chosen to give birth to the promised Hebrew Messiah, the, the redeemer that was to come from the, from the Davidic line. If you look just a few verses before this, in verse 31, behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, Hebrew Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. So he's not the most high. We agree on that. Then notice it says the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The word father there is used in the sense of ancestor. So Yeshua is a descendant of David. Descendants are not older than their ancestors. He will be, he will reign over the house of Judah forever. His kingdom or Jacob forever. His kingdom will, will never end. So he, this was the Davidic Messiah. This was the promised Messiah in the Hebrew Bible, but yet yeah. it was a supernatural birth. So he wasn't just any mere man. Um, you know, we might could liken it. I know it's not one-to-one -one equal, but we might could liken it to the first man, Adam, who didn't have a father or a mother, but Yahweh made him from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He was very unique. And in, and in Luke's genealogy in chapter three, Adam is called the son of God because he was created by God in a special way. And God has a unique relationship with him. So I don't think this is incarnation theology in Luke one. I actually think this is conception or begotten okay. theology. So you know, I, I appreciate it. I wanted to clarify because so you guys are basically, when you say incarnation in theology, I just want to make sure that the, the audience follows the terms we're using, right? Okay. Uh, when you say incarnation theology, you're referring more to maybe a hypostatic union concept like Trinitarians teach. Is that what you're thinking? Um, that would definitely fall under what I'm okay. talking about. But incarnation meaning that a spirit being, whether it be Yahweh, which you guys don't think Yahweh came down and wrapped himself in a robe of flesh. I know that. But a spirit being in general, whether it be... Um, angelic or like Yeshua, like you said, he, there was a time he came forth from the father and then there was an incarnation where he, he became a man. I would argue that our Messiah has to be a man 
And if, if he wasn't a man first, if he was something else first, then that first thing he was is what he is. He's really not a man. He turned into a man, but he is whatever he was at the beginning. I think that Hebrew no. scripture. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, but that, but we, I mean, would it be fair to say that that is your interpretation though, to say that that process, yeah. Cause you're saying basically if the process is as many people think that he was a spiritual being and then was made into a man, you're mm-hmm. saying under, under the way you would view it personally, mm-hmm. you don't think he's actually a man. But right. is it fair to say that is your interpretation? Sure. As opposed to like God saying, I can take you out of being a spirit being sure. and make you into the flesh of a yeah. man as an actual DNA of a man. Um, sure. Because the, the big question becomes, what is he now? Well, he's 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 divine now. He's taken upon himself the divine nature. But so what, I, that, what does that mean, though? That if means you, that. Ask. Yeah. Upon the resurrection of the dead. Uh He inherited immortality, so he's become Elohim. This is why all of the Newer Testament texts that refer to Yeshua as as God are post-resurrection texts. So like Hebrews 1.8 or John 20.28 or Colossians 2.9, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. These are post-resurrection texts about Yeshua that after he humbled himself, even though he had this wonderful beginning in the womb of his mother, he humbled himself. He washed people's feet, even the feet of the one that was going to betray him. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name and seated him at his right hand. That's post-resurrection. So the first was the earthly and then the second was the celestial or the heavenly. I definitely believe Yeshua's divinity now that he's resurrected. One of the things that I want to bring up is that if Yeshua pre-existed, then correct me if I'm wrong if you see it this way, but he pre-existed as an immortal being. Then he became a mortal being. And then when he resurrected, he went back to being immortal. And I think that actually goes against the basic terms of what immortals are. So if you can be or you are immortal, you don't go and become mortal. It contradicts what immortals are. And so uh, I think that we definitely can get there uh, for sure. I think, um, you know, I'm not a Trinitarian, but I know that, you know, Philippians 2, 7 sure does work well to to address that concept. um, same thing with uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. And I think I've actually heard rebuttal from a Unitarian stance to 1 Timothy 3.16. But um, what do you guys think about this particular passage? If we're talking about that transitionary point, right, where was he an actual spiritual Elohim-style being before becoming born through the through womb of a woman on earth? Um, what what say you about this verse? Hebrews 1.6 says, when he again brings the firstborn into the world. So I know you guys have already tried to address the language of the firstborn. We, we mm-hmm. talked about that already, right? So I think I know your stance there. In the Septuagint, Psalm 110, verse 3, it says, With you the power in the days of your might, in the splendor of the holy ones, from the womb, before the morning star, I begot you. Yeah, that's a good one there, Brother Sean, in Psalm 110. As much as I've read the Septuagint, that's the first time I've ever had anybody bring that text up to me. So that's a good point, Psalm 110. I'm familiar with the Hebrews 1 text, and I would use firstborn, prototokos in the Greek there as meaning preeminent. And I think bringing him into the world refers to out of the womb of the Virgin Miriam and into the world. Uh, There's text in John that talks about how that people that are born from the womb are are men that cometh into the world. The Psalm 110 text, I I can't speak to because I haven't researched that. Well, I'm thinking to myself, what is the morning star when you read it, uh, Sean and West Blaze? 
my thoughts were the first thing I pair it with was in first Enoch, as I mentioned earlier in 48, where it says that before the son was created, he was he was named in the existence and existed in the presence of the father. So yeah, the morning so here, star is Yeshua? No, I would say the morning star being the sun, maybe in that that understanding. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeshua, right? Uh, well, existent Yeshua. Yeshua yeah. being created before the sun was created. Yes, oh, you before. mean S-U-N, son? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. I kept thinking, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Who's on first? No, we got it. I know. Yeah, this I, is, like this this text. Is... I like this text on the screen, and I, I would agree with this. I would agree with this text. Even before the sun and the constellations were created, before the stars of heaven were made, his name was named in front of the Lord of Spirits. Lord of Spirits, I would take there to mean Yahweh, the mighty one of spirits. And I believe that Yeshua's name was named. I believe that Yeshua was crucified. He was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, but not literally hanging on a tree or a cross, but it was already as good as done. Anything foreordained or predestined in Yahweh's perfect plan is as good as accomplished, but it doesn't get accomplished literally until the proper season or proper time. So I think Yeshua was named in front of the Lord of Spirits before all these things were created. Yeah, and I also want to piggyback that, you know, there is this Greek way of understanding this language in the Bible of something that was seemed seemed to pre-exist or was already happening to be spoken in past tense is known as heterosis. And it's anything that Yahweh has promised or Yahweh has said will happen is spoken of in past tense because anything that Yahweh promises is good as done, even though it's in the future. Just like it says that um, we will be saved, right, past tense, but we're talking about the salvation to come. Um, there's several other examples I really quick wanted to uh, it's interesting. point out. I've never heard that literary term heterosis. Uh, yeah. Because it it's actually sounds like prolepsis. Ah. To speak of <laughs> a future event as if it's already done. Or uh, I like to call it the prophetic perfect. Yeah. I call it Hebrew one, faith, faith speak. But yeah, I agree. Uh, it's the same concept. So that's interesting. I'll, I'll look up heterosis. Sounds like a cancer. But um, but yeah, <laughs> I got heterosis of my verb verbal theology. But no, I, yeah, no, prolepsis sounds like a, a disease. As there's well. some there's some good so, examples even with us even with us believers. Um, the blood of the prophets before the foundations of the world. Luke eleven verse fifty. The blood of the prophets, I believe it says, were spilled before the foundation of the world. Ephesians one four. Elohim chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. And I could play devil's advocate and say, well, then I guess we preexisted, you know, because He chose me before. The morning star, you know, and then there's others, but I don't like to over, you know, speak too much and sound like a formal debate. <laughs> Brother Sean, can I couple in Luke one? I love that you brought that text up. It's one of my favorite New Testament texts. I want to couple Matthew one with it because Matthew one also teaches the virgin conception. Right. And we would we would say like Matthew one piggybacks, if it's OK to say piggy. Torah keepers, <laughs> it piggybacks off of the Tanakh in that the promised Davidic Messiah, Matthew 1, 1 starts off the generation, which is the Greek word Genesis, the beginning of Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of a the son of uh, David, the son of Abraham. And then it gives a genealogy. So we're, we're talking about a human being that's a descendant. Once again, he's a descendant of David and, and Abraham. Yeah, and then it goes down and. Ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, uh, just quick question, though, because you have already acknowledged, just so the, the viewers don't get lost, you, you have already acknowledged that you believe in the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and conceiving 
not with the sperm of Joseph, but through the power of God's spirit. Does it, does yes. that what you said earlier? Okay. So you do agree yes. with that, but Absolutely. by mentioning this and making the statement you just did, you're just saying right. he he's accounted as in the family genealogy of David back to Abraham, because he's in the line of Mary and Joseph. I, yeah. I would say two ways. I, I think this proves that Mary had Davidic DNA in her number one, and, and it's okay for it to come through women. We have the daughters of Zelophehad had in the book of numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think that he's legally Joseph's son by, by adoption. Uh, I think Luke 3.23 uses the word as was customary or supposed. Yeah. Um, and adoption is a very Hebraic concept. Um, so both both ways, I think. But the, the point is, is that Matthew 1 starts off by saying this is this is the beginning. This is the genesis of, of Jesus Christ. He's the son of Abraham, the son of David. And then it gives a genealogy. This guy begat this guy, uh, Genao. Meaning, meaning that, you know, Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac came into existence after Abraham. And then it goes on down. And it speaks of that which is begotten in the womb of, of Mary. And if you study the word begotten in Greek, it has to do with coming into existence. Not not a literal pre-existence and incarnation, but somebody that comes into existence. So he was definitely a special man. That's why I mentioned Adam's, you know, Adam being created from the dust of the earth but, and being son of God. Okay. Yeshua was the second man, Adam. He had a unique creation. He's the beginning of this new creation that Yahweh is is making for for the kingdom that is to come. And uh, he's so special. You know, we're not saying that he's just you know a prophet like Islam, or uh, although he is a prophet, but he's not just a prophet. We're not saying he's just some Joe Blow down the street Israelite man. He's the most special man to ever walk the face of the earth there'll never be another man like him he's the head of every man and right now he's second in command over the entire heavens and earth i mean that's that's very very special right for sure yeah so it's been said a couple times though that you guys have um made the comparison that somebody who's a descendant of people like abraham and david that he could not have existed before then so i'm sure you guys hear this verse all the time and i'm very curious to hear how you interpret it. um john 8 58 of course, where he says, yeah. before Abraham was, I am. Before yeah. Abraham was born, I am, even in this translation. So I'm curious. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good verse. <laughs> I love that text. So I think that um, the I am he, I think it should, should say I am he um, because of the lack of the predicate there. So before Abraham was, I am he. And I think that refers back to the beginning of the Gospel of John. In John 4, when he's talking with a woman at the well, and she says, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all of these things. And Yeshua says, I am he, ego and me. Um, and so if you fast forward that up to John 8, I think he's still claiming the same thing. I'm I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. And um, the before Abraham part, uh, I believe it's referring to, as the passage in Enoch said, he was named before Abraham ever existed. He was what already. Do you, what are you? What are you saying by the word using the word name? What do you think Enoch is saying in that passage when he's saying he was named? I would say in the plan, I, I, the text that you put on the screen, it says he was named uh, in front of the Lord of Spirits. I don't think that that text, just reading it, says that he had to be in a, in a literal existence right there, but that he could he could be spoken about and foretold. Uh, before all of these things. And I think that's what John 8 is talking about. I think the Pharisees misunderstood him. Um, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, not me, 
But Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Pharisees, they don't, they don't get it right. They say, you're not even 50 years old, and how can you say you've seen Abraham? And they're taking him literally, but he's speaking, he's speaking spiritually there in that text. He's saying, before Abraham existed, I am he. I am the Messiah, um, the, prom- the promised Messiah. And they pick up stones to stone him because they think that he's blaspheming, probably because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. Not that, not, I don't think they thought he was saying he was Yahweh there. But I think they just thought, no, this guy's not Messiah. He's got a demon, um, okay. you know, and, and all of that. So, so just, good, just if I may, I'm sure. sorry, John, just one second to address before we get away from what we just he just mentioned. Um, so in this passage, Matthew, that we that you were just referencing, we had on screen a minute ago from Enoch 48. Mm-hmm. It says in verse two at that hour. So it's given like a, a, a specific qualifier of time. Mm hmm. In addition to the qualifier that we had already read, it was before the sun, moon, and stars. But it also says that he was named in the presence of the mm-hmm. Lord of Spirits. Mm-hmm. So, are you saying that he was just announced in front of the angels? Because this is that's so, what it sounds like to me in that okay. text. Be like if I was so standing would, up in front of the congregation here mm-hmm. in in Georgia, and I named Sean Griffin. In yeah. front of the presence of the congregation, you know, it'd be kind yeah, of an illustration. It, it doesn't say in front of the presence of the congregation. It says in the presence of the Lord of Spirits. Sure, sure. So in the presence of the Lord of Spirits, that's that's Yahweh. That's the most but he's, high. He's the one talking, though. So, like, if I, I would never stand up in front of a group of people and say, hey, I'm going to go to the store in the presence of me, I say this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. To me, the language is pretty clear that it's like he's saying this to all of the, the the people he would need to announce it to. And that, in my understanding, if mankind hasn't been created yet, because this is before even day four, um, Jubilees and Enoch, uh, and I would even say Job chapter 38, let us know that the angels were created on day one. And it's specifically stated in the book of Jubilees, they were created on day one. Um, so that's that would be the audience to whom he actually announces this to. And there would be... This is just my re- interpretation for the audience since, you know, just as a response to what you said. Sure, sure. This would be the whole point of this conversation being recorded was that awesome. there's a there's a reason for the angels need to know who's in charge. Right. So he has to announce and name him in the presence of the Lord of Spirits to validate that information. And then we see that, you know, they they have the, you know, the audience of the angels there. Right. Um, so that's to me, a, a reasoning, like a practical reason that this would even be recorded. Um, and to me, it goes in line with, with Yeshua's statement in John eight or John um, chapter 18, verse 36, where he's telling, uh, telling Herod that, you know, my kingdom is not of this earth. And so he's, he's already in charge of the angels in heaven above, but he would have just, you know, dethroned in order to take on this mission and be sent. So I'm sorry, John, to interrupt you, but uh, what? No, no, it's okay, John. No, yeah, I was just going to say that a lot of this language can be found with us believers, us saints also. Um, in, in the Bible, you can see in uh, Luke 11.50, as I quoted, but uh, 2 Timothy 1.9, we are given grace in Yeshua Messiah before the world was. How can I be given anything before the world was unless I was there? Well, in the mind of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 4.3, works finished from the foundations of the world. I don't know, you know, that's that's not literal, but we can play the devil's advocate, right? And when we see Book of Enoch, uh, chapter forty-eight or whatnot, um, yeah. it's the same kind of language. And uh, well, that, Revelation yeah. thirteen eight, he was slain before the foundation of the world, but we know before the sun was created, there was no crucifixion. 
Absolutely. And let me put this on screen because I was going to mention this. This plays right into the, the verse we just had on screen. But let me actually share it from um, from this passage here uh, because this is gives you the rest of the story, right? Um, what That slide that Westway's made, it only has verse 2 and 3. So let's, if we go down to verse 4 in that same chapter of Enoch where it's prophesying the Messiah and explaining what I would suggest is explaining that he's he's being given that authority over the angels announced in the presence of the Father so the angels know what's up, what's the authority structure of heaven. He then explains, like you're talking about, John, why we're given that blessing before the world began, because it was announced what he would do at the same moment, at that hour, like verse 2 says, at that hour, the Son of Man was named in the presence of the, of the Lord of Spirits, so that he would do what? He would be a staff to the righteous, wanting to stay themselves. And here we get into the Isaiah 57 language of him actually being the Messiah, a light to the Gentiles, a hope of all those who are troubled in heart. And then, of course, his his actual reign on the earth when people worship him and praise him. Um, and then it goes on to say, for this reason, has he been chosen and hidden before him before the creation of the world and forevermore? So the context itself says that exactly what would line up with First First Timothy one nine, which is this idea that he was announced this is what he was going to do. He was chosen for this reason, and and it was even told to all the angels before um, before. Uh, Day four, even before day four. I also four. like to think uh, Jeremiah one five is a good example where before the before I formed you in the womb I knew you. Another way of saying that is before you were born I named you, and but we don't think Jeremiah existed, and so again I think the we're not too far fetched to say that Yahweh speaks like this quite quite often in the prophecies. Thank you so much, Lisa, for the super sticker. I appreciate that. Sorry, Sean, do you do you believe do you believe that um, the preexistent Yeshua? I guess two questions here. Do you think he was named Yeshua pre preexistently, and do you think he was an immortal being? Was he created immortal? Um, everyone in heaven above is created immortal. Uh, if you're given a spiritual angelic style like body, you know, a spiritual body is what it's actually technically called. Um, that language is consistent both from Enoch um, to First Corinthians 15. Paul tries to expound the earth east first and then the spiritual, given the the correlation, the chronology of the resurrection. But uh, we only know that there's two kinds of concepts. Essentially, there's, you know, people of the earth and people of the heaven above the spiritual nature. And so anyone that's born of heaven above, as First First uh, Enoch 15 expounds upon, is born immortal. And that was why people on the earth are supposed to, the meek inherit the earth, you know, people on the earth inherit the earth, but people in heaven are supposed to live in heaven. And they were all called immortal beings, um, not needing wives. And this was actually explained in the, in the furthering context where Yahweh is reprimanding the rebellious watchers for taking wives. And he's saying, mm -hmm. you weren't appointed wives because you're immortal, holy, living the eternal life in heaven. Right. Um, only mankind was given wives. And so, Yes, I would say everything that's considered a spiritual being is immortal. So my second question then would be, how did Yeshua die? If, if he was immortal, did he lose his immortality? Because immortality means deathlessness, well, not he, able to die. I would say he, he wasn't in that same form. That was kind of the point of him being sent to the earth to become a man is he no, he no longer has immortality. That's mm. he, he changes the nature thereof. Um, so you guys can probably imagine I want to go to Philippians 2, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just for the audience, um, 
you know, following along, I'll do this real quick just so they can understand what I'm, what I'm getting at. I know your brothers are well-versed and know this passage very well. So what do you guys say in regards to, you know, who existed in the form of God? That's that word Elohim again. Yeah. More did not consider equality with Elohim, something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of servant being made in human likeness. Now Yeshua in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 42 is referred to as the servant sent. So this would be consistent in my understanding of why he would empty himself and take on the form of a servant and be made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man. Put on. I always like to use the analogy of uh, what's that movie? Uh, what's the show with the with the owner of the company pretends to be an employee? Something My undercover boss. boss. Yeah. Undercover, undercover boss. boss. Yeah. And uh, you know this idea that. When the CEO of a company who is at a high status, you know, at the top, empties himself to become the form of a servant, the word "form" is the outward appearance. So his outward appearance, he puts on the uh, the regular uniform of McDonald's or whatever, and does a drive-through job, um, and you know, sweeps the floor. He took on the form of a servant. Uh, I think that's how this language is meant to be read, and it wasn't meant to be saying like Wait, he but was a. A, a mighty the, one, pre-existent, immortal, mighty one, and then took a human form and then, you know, went back to immortal. Did you catch that, Wes? I didn't understand that. I'm sorry, John. Did you say, you already said earlier that that Yeshua was a man while he's on the earth and only a man. We don't believe in a hypostatic union theology that he was fully man and fully God at the same time. So if he was non-existent before he became a man and once he became a man, he's fully man. What is he emptying himself of in that interpretation you just gave? Well, let's just say you're Donald Trump Jr. and you're supposed to inherit all of his business. But then someone strips you of all that so that you can become the form of a servant or a slave to walk the streets of New York City begging for money or just being poor. It's a status because what you were meant to be was up at the top of a high tower with lots of money and power. Yeshua was born from the descendants of David as the rightful heir of the, as a Messiah. He's supposed to have a crown and a throne. But he took on the form of, uh, of a servant as Ben Joseph. And then when he comes back, he's going to be the Ben David. But uh, this idea is that the outward appearance of Yeshua is why a lot of times the Jews had a hard time accepting him as Messiah. Because they're waiting for a king with a crown and, you know, an army. And he came as a servant, the outward appearance of a servant instead of a king. And so it's more of a status thing and not necessarily that if he was born human, how was he considered the form of God or whatnot? I'll let I think Matthew wants to add on to that. I'm not. Do you guys agree on that interpretation? Well, um, probably for the most part, I, I, I want to point out that the beginning of chapter two is talking about Christian humility, how that we're supposed to not do anything out of selfish ambition or rivalry, but esteem our brothers and sisters better than ourselves. So this is the context. He's telling us Christians how to act. And then he gives us an example. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in the Christ Jesus. Christ is a reference to the human Jesus. It's the Messiah, the Mashiach, um, the anointed one. And so it's not referring to pre-human existence here. It's, it's talking about the Christ Jesus. And he existed in the Morphe the form of God, which should take our minds back to another man that was made in the image or the form of God. Adam. Adam was made in the form of God. And what did Adam do? He sought for an equality with God. So wait, you're saying that the rest of mankind after Adam is not in the image of God? 
No, not like Adam was. No, not like Adam was. No. But he, God created man upright, you know, and that's talking about Adam right there. That's Ecclesiastes 7. But Adam so like was Seth. A, Seth wasn't uh, Seth was a different person after that then, like a different Seth, type of man. Seth is said to be made in the image of in likeness of Adam. But Adam in, in uniquely being the first man, Adam, the first man, he is in the unique image or form of God. And he sought, he grasped for an equality with God in the garden. Satan tempted and he fell. He didn't protect his wife. And then he ate of the forbidden fruit as well. But Yeshua didn't. When Yeshua was tempted, he didn't grasp for an equality with God. Uh, in, in each of the temptations that are mentioned there in Matthew 4 and also in the Gospel of Luke, Yeshua said, no, no, no. He didn't give in to temptation, even though the devil promised him all the kingdoms of this world. So he, he emptied himself and he took upon himself the morphe of a servant. So he was in the morphe of, of God. He took upon himself the morphe of a servant and came as just this ordinary Joe Blow down the street. He even told people when he would heal them, don't tell anybody what I did. Don't tell yeah. anybody. Therefore, okay. therefore, so, God highly exalted him. Notice the exaltation is not before he's a man. The exaltation sure. is after, after he submits himself even right. to death on a cross. And then he's given the name above every name, which I, I understand that phrase to mean the greatest reputation. And even to this day, when somebody speaks the name Jesus or Yeshua, there's no other person with a greater reputation than, than Jesus of Nazareth. So he, he was given that because of his great humility. And remember, verses one through four, that's how us Christians are supposed to act. So Paul is not telling us Christians to act like a, a, a pre-incarnate spirit being that came down. He's telling us, you act like the Messiah acted. He had this great status, but he didn't use it to his advantage, and he didn't try to seek for an equality or grasp for an equality with Yahweh. Okay. Okay. So That's how so that, I understand it. I get it. Yeah, that interpretation, though, would hinge on verse 6 being what you just said, though. Would you you kind of, um, the common reading of it is the, the morphetheo, you're saying is in the form of God as in the form of the image of God. And you're, you're relating that back to Genesis one twenty six to 29 Correct. instead of being in the form of an actual spiritual being, which right. is, which is also a use for the word Theo. Correct. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. I can, I so, see how you interpret this text. Yeah. I understand that. I it's that. hard for me to make the connection you just did, not just because of, I understand the connection that you're making with verses one through five, because literally verse five says, let this mind be in you, right? Mm -hmm. Let this perspective, let this, let this humble thought process be in you. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I get that for sure. I just, I guess I struggle with um, when, understanding that there is an actual spiritual being nature that the, all mm -hmm. the angels have. Um, and then seeing that verse at the end of verse seven, it says being made in human likeness, being right. found in appearance as a man right. seems like very interesting language to someone who never knew anything <laughs> different. Yeah. I, I think, I, and I understand what you're saying. I think the, the intent of that is commoner, not, not, not just a man in the sense that that's not what he was when he was the Christ Jesus, but he just came as a commoner. He wasn't, you know, like King Solomon, son of David, <laughs> He, he just he was just, you know, from a one light town, Nazareth, uh, Bethlehem, Ephratah, little among the thousands of Judah. He, he didn't have a, a, a grand birth. He didn't grow up in a grand town. Um, even his own family, when he went and preached in a synagogue in Luke know. four, his own family tried to run him off the cliff. 
you know, because the profit's not without honor, think, except in its own country. So that may be a little bit subjective on what we're considering grand. I mean, being being a born of a virgin and having three wise men bring you all those valuable materials at your birth, um, being hunted by Herod um, to where you have to flee the country. I mean, that seems like a big deal. But yeah, well, I, I agree. Uh, but I'm I'm talking about how that, you know, Nazareth, there's not even a historical record of a city named Nazareth outside of Scripture. And and in the prophecy of Micah, it's it's Bethlehem Ephratah is little among the thousands of Judah. But yet out of these shall come forth a ruler that shall shepherd the people of Israel. So so my, my point is, is that, you know, shepherds were there at his birth. You know, not the wise men didn't come to a little bit later, but shepherds were there at his birth. The low the low class in society. Yeah. That's 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 my point. I, I agree with the virgin conception. I agree with all of that. Well, also, I thought it was interesting when we look at that uh, Bible verse you were sharing in Philippians. It had in parentheses Isaiah 52. I actually, before I even spotted that, was thinking this is a great example of Isaiah 52 and 53. That that language where he blended in with everyone, he didn't stand out as some charming, good-looking king, and then he, uh, you know, was a humble servant. So when we read that uh, suffering servant, it's why, just like Philippians too. Why even mention that he's being found in the appearance of a man if that's all he was ever to because know? Because when, I mean, when you look at when you look at Philippians, everybody was boasting and being proud, and uh, they were saying, "Don't get caught up in your gifts, don't get caught up in your skills or your status in right. your little ecclesia. Just know that your own boss, uh, who's your prime example, who had every right to boast, every right to point the finger." took on every role as the undercover boss to sweep the floors, stay late, come in early, did everything he was supposed to as the perfect employee, even though he's the owner, he shouldn't have to do it. And so okay. have that mindset in you also who has no place at the right hand of the father. So you're below him. You should even be quicker to sweep the floor because your own master, Yeshua, was a perfect example of what kind of mindset you should have as servants. Okay. I'm sorry if um, I'm yelling. I just uh, no, no, I'm a soft-spoken kind of guy. I've been told my whole life I'm soft-spoken, so now I overcompensate and I sound like I'm yelling. <laughs> my hands start moving. <laughs> I don't think you are. I think it's good that the audience can hear you. Okay. Um, Wes Blaze, did you want to chime in before I go to the next section? Um, I'd love to look at the. We had started to look at Enoch 48. I think you had looked at a different translation of it because I favor the. I can't remember if it's the Richard Lawrence or the the, uh, the yeah. R. H. Charles because it. If you'd go back to my slides on on sure. Enoch forty eight, that'd be uh, awesome. I just versus two through verbiage. three or five through six. Five through six, please. Sir. Okay, sure. Can you guys see that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, just therefore the elect and concealed one Yeshua existed in His presence, existed before the world was created and forever in his presence he existed and has revealed to the saints and to the righteous the wisdom of the lord of spirits for he has preserved a lot of the righteous because they have hated and rejected this world of iniquity and have detested all its works and ways in the name of the lord of spirits so um yeah i favor this translation uh, obviously just because it says he he did exist indeed what do y'all think yeah i i think that's a good verse for your position <laughs> yeah, when I, read, I mean, that, when i'm reading yeah. i'm sorry matt i don't mean to interrupt go for it no, I was just saying I don't mind if, if you make a good point. I don't mind saying this it's a good point. That's if if I took your position, I would definitely bring this text up. Yeah. Sure. 
do you guys agree that the elect and the concealed one, one could say the elect is the same one as at the bottom, uh, one, two, three, four, I mean, the sixth line, it says, has revealed to the saints and to the righteous, that would be us, I would say, like, it's sounding like we preexisted also, because he's saying that uh, he was revealed to the saints at this time in Enoch 48, which seems to be in the presence before the world was created. I would say that these are two titles, concealed one and elect, are both used of the Son of Man, the Messiah. <laughs> okay, so let's just say the elect is Yeshua. So I'm going to say, therefore, the elect, Yeshua, and the concealed one, Yeshua, existed in his presence, Yahweh the Father, before the world was created and forever. In his presence, he existed and has revealed to the saints and to the righteous, that would be us, correct? Well, the so angels, I, I can't help in, the wonder, of, like, in the book of Enoch, true. the angels are also called the elect, the saints, and the righteous. Because mm -hmm. remember, okay. they're a part of the family of Israel with us. They're just in okay. a different location. Okay, so those those are not us. That's that's an, those are angels. No, I'm just saying like that. Um, go ahead. I, I shouldn't have interrupted you. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> You're okay. I'm just trying to understand Enoch. I don't read Enoch, but I'm just right. the first time setting my eyes on Enoch 48. I'm trying to skim through it. <laughs> and Sean I'm like, was oh, just saying it could be both. That that yeah, the saints could be both angels in heaven and mankind. Okay, because when I keep reading here at the semicolon, for he has preserved a lot of the righteous. So it sounds like he's preserving something for us, not angels, correct? The word lot is the word for inheritance. And we all right. know that the, the inheritance is what he's king over, which is the new Jerusalem, which is the, mm -hmm. um, the, the inheritance of the saints. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. So I yeah. can't help but say, well, we don't know if the, the righteous or the saints were angels or humans. But then when we continue reading, it sounds like the context is saying it's talking about us. Mankind. The, yes, sir. Yeah, mankind. And so if that is our understanding to a certain extent, we have to say that this language used in Enoch 48 is used continuously for not only the elect concealed one, but also for the saints who is who are us, who is us. I don't know, proper grammar here, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, is that now we're pre-existing also. No, I don't see that from there. No, message. it doesn't say that. Um, it actually talks about in First Enoch 48, the rest of this chapter, how, or no, excuse me, First Enoch 47, how um, the, the actual amount of saints to be to be saved. Um, mm -hmm. is consistent with the number of stars in the sky. Mm -hmm. So this is why uh, you would have in Revelation 6, the angel tell those, the voices from under the altar crying out for vengeance that you must wait until... Um, anyway, but that's a deeper study. But the point is, uh, no, actually the book of Enoch talks about, um, makes a dis distinguishment between the actual saints of the earth that are born and how they it does not pretend that they preexisted in any way, none, nor does it speak of them like that. Um, and this elect one in verse 48, verse 5, is consistent with uh, chapter 61 of First Enoch. I think it's verse 10. I think, I think that's the very next slide, if you would. Oh, is it? It's, yeah, bad. it's short, the last one on that one. Yeah, yep. right here. Then Sorry. shall the kings, the princes, and all who possess the earth glorify him who has dominion over all things, him who was concealed. So the kings, the princes, all who possess the earth being mankind, and thereat being said that they will glorify the Messiah, the concealed son of man, for from the beginning, the son of man existed in secret, whom the most high preserved in the presence of his power and revealed to the elect. So that's so if you guys, if you guys ever want to check out my channel, I've, if you just type in Kingman context, history and timeline, and I go through the entire manuscript history of the book of Enoch, both the Latin, the Greek, the Hebrew, the Paleo-Hebrew, uh, the Syriac, I talk about all of it. 
and uh, I go through the Dead Sea Scroll findings. I go through, so I, I talk about it's a compilation of six different scrolls, including the Book of Noah. Uh, we do make a strong delineation on my channel, and I think West Blaze is in agreement. We do not give weight or authority to the books of Second and Third Enoch. Right. There's no manuscript chain of custody or historical, even some of the theology taught in there doesn't line up. But the book of First Enoch, I have not found anything that is out of order with everything taught in the canon that we do know and are familiar with the 66. So for your for your consideration, um, I would you know highly recommend studying the book of Enoch. John, I know you said you thought it was pseudepigraphal. Have you ever had a chance to study it out? Have you ever read the book of Enoch? Yeah. So when I was looking up, you know, all the quote unquote scholars, quote unquote scholars have said it's all pseudepigrapha. But I don't have like notes on, you know, at hand. I wasn't prepared to have a Enoch discussion. So I I can I can talk about Balaam. I have notes on Balaam. Sure. Find that in the Bible. It's interesting because you know, pseudepigrapha usually means that it was it's written by someone but ascribed to somebody else right. than it was written right. to, right? Because right. we do agree that the collection known as what we have of first Enoch was written by partially Enoch and uh, Methuselah Noah. And so there's that collection there that has been pieced together and given the name Enoch. But we, we would ascribe that the prophet Enoch did have these these words, some of those words scribed for sure. And all of it would have been copied and rescribed by Ezra in the sixth mm -hmm. century BC anyway. So um, it's only because of Ezra that we even have the fragments we still do. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting study. Um, I know that uh, there are other, you know, had we all grown up in Ethiopia, we wouldn't even question Enoch. It would just be a part of our daily reading. That was the other um, thing I was going to say is I ran across a Gez, a Gez uh, translation from, you know, Gez to the English from the Ethiopic, you know, antiquity. And that uh, a part of the slides that I had was from some of the wording from that. So it all um, attests to some of the other translations that we have, like in the Greek and the Aramaic. So this is uh, real quick for everyone in the chat. I apologize. We're not getting to your questions tonight. We didn't actually announce that we we're going to do questions during this. Some of our brothers on the panel tonight only have a short amount of time with us. So we're trying to maximize that. Uh, so we won't be taking live questions as it is. Um, I mean, we're, we're barely scratching the surface of everything yeah. we want to talk about. <laughs> all these questions case, are about different things. Just in case, because I, I have to sign off at, at 830 um, pretty, pretty succinctly. So I just want to say this in case I don't get a chance to. I want to want everybody that's listening now or later on to, to recognize, and this is me speaking, okay, from, from Brother Matthew. I don't believe that this is a topic. I, I think it's good for us to discuss this topic. I think we should discuss it. Iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. I don't think this is something that we should disfellowship people over or shun people over if they see it different than we do. Um, Brother Sean and Brother Wes, and myself and John, we all believe in Yahweh, the Father, Yeshua, the Son, the Messiah, and keeping of the commandments, which is Revelation, what, 12, 17, 14, 12. That's the testimony of the saints. So I just want, I, if you discuss this, people that are listening, if you end up discussing this with your brothers and sisters, never, never let it be a point of contention to the point that you, you know, say, well, I can't fellowship that person or they're not a brother or I'm putting a mark on them or something like that. This is not one of those subjects that, that you should do that over. 
just want that to be uh, clarified before I have to get off. <laughs> I 100% yeah. agree. Yeah, absolutely. And furthermore, I love that we can get together and have these conversations in a civil loving way so that, you know, we can kind of build our understanding to have these conversations with other people, knowing what some other people say and believe and interpret these passages so that we can have more effective and productive conversations with others too. So it's a beautiful thing. And, and on that note, I got to ask you about this before you guys have to go. John 1.15, we haven't addressed this yet tonight. <laughs> John testified concerning him, speaking of Yeshua, the one who became flesh. He cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Right. Make of that. Yeah, that last phrase can be translated because he ranks higher than I. Protos in the Greek can refer to, once again, it can refer to before in time or before in rank. And so... Um, Okay. Uh, I, I don't have all my translations in front of me, but it, it, it can be rendered. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he ranks higher than I, Protos. So that's how I take John 115. Yeah. And same here. Yeah. Same here. It's about it's about rank. And also John the Baptist later on says that he, he has sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You know, pretty much I can't okay. fill his shoes. It, it's, got, it's about his importance and rank. All right, so you guys are saying that that Greek word used as before uh, mm -hmm. normally is used in the in the if it's not used as a chronological time placement, it, we see it elsewhere. We see this term before as translated as the English word before me means he's in the presence of. But you're saying it's neither two of those translations. It's he's higher in rank than me. Yes, yes. Most okay. translations, most of the translations on these texts are going to be translated by Trinitarian scholars, and they all believe that Yeshua had a pre-human existence before John, and so they're going to translate it. You know, the HCSB, my favorite Bible translation, says he existed before me, and I think that's just taking too much liberty there with the text, but, uh, and it's not that Protos, it's like Wes said, it, it, it could be both, it could be one, it could be the other. You know, I'm not saying Protos can't be translated as before in time, I'm just saying that it can also be understood as before chief in rank. Okay. And I think, uh, I think Westplay has had a, a question for you guys on this right here. What do you guys, this, is, this is a big one right here for me. Yeah, uh, me too. John 17, five. No, just in the sense of how would he have come down or descend from heaven if he did not <laughs> exist in heaven? Yeah. Can oh I go? man. Yeah. Go ahead, John. <laughs> so I was wrestling with John three for a good week and a half to two weeks and when I kept praying about it, that's when I felt like the spirit was finally giving me the answers. And it wasn't until I prayed. So uh, praise John, give him all the glory. But this has everything to do with being ascended from the grave and descended into the grave. It's about the topic of how does one become born again? Nicodemus comes to him late at night in John 3 and says, how do I have eternal life? Yeshua is talking about one must be born again. So one must die and then be born again. And so the ascending and descending, if you continue reading in John 3, he says he needs to be ascended to a cross like the serpent and then descended. So there's a lot of language about his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's not necessarily about him pre-existing. No. Um, okay. But this particular verse says no one has ascended into heaven. So that's given us a pretty strong qualifier of what it's talking about. Mm -hmm. But he who descended from heaven. 
And I agree with the surrounding context. He is talking about the resurrection, resurrection, death, yeah. burial, then rise again, right? Be yeah. given an eternal glorified heavenly body. However, I heard two things there. You said descending into the grave and descending from the cross, but this says descended from heaven. So that's, and you, do y'all, John, if, if you would, do you define heaven like Genesis one um, verse eight does where it gives the name heaven to the solid structure of the firmament? I don't know where you are on that. Is heaven a physical thing above us, like a place? Oh, yeah, there's, uh, I believe there's three heavens, but from your background, it looks like there could be seven. Sure. So you do, you do say that it's a. So do you believe, you believe then that, that heaven is literally above us as the scriptures talk about? Uh, Yeah. Okay, Okay, cool. So not like some like ethereal, other dimensional realm that's covered by a veil, but like literally above us. A physical, yeah. tangible place, yeah. Yeah, and if if Yeshua ascended into the skies above the clouds, I, I don't know what happened after that, and who knows? Hebrews four fourteen. There you go. <laughs> he ascended through. Hey, the I don't know if it was a, I don't heavens. know if it was a three hour drive or if it was a thirty minute drive. I don't know yeah. how far <laughs> up he went, but. <laughs> so y'all give me just a couple of minutes to deal with these texts right here, and I'd I love have, to. I have yeah. I have to get off here at eight thirty. Is something important? <laughs> Please do. Um. So I'll backtrack from John 6. In John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And Yeshua equates the living bread with his flesh. So mm-hmm. he's saying in John 6, my flesh came from heaven. So he's not speaking literally there. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. James 1 says this. And there's a uh, case where Yeshua is discussing with the Pharisees. And he says, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, is it from heaven? Or is it from men? And now, Yeshua is not saying the baptism of John floated down out of heaven. It means it comes with heavenly authority. And so that's what I think he's saying in John 6. It may it's also, there. yeah, six, the, the entirety of, of John 6, where, where that phrase is used, it may also refer to the virgin conception. And well, that Yeshua... I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but are you saying no, 651? You're saying the metaphor he's making about being the bread of heaven you're saying because he made a metaphor in, in verse 51, we then take any other passage in John chapter 6 as not, not a literal statement, but a metaphor? Correct. Yeah, John 6, where he says, for I've come down from heaven, he's talking about his flesh. So it has to be metaphorical. It can't be literal. His flesh didn't come down from heaven. Not Trinitarians, well, Arians, nobody believes that. His flesh didn't begin to exist until he was born in Bethlehem. And that's what he's talking about. The living bread is his flesh. He even says, unless you eat my flesh. You have no life. You have no part with me in John 6. Well, he, he does in, in 635. He says, I'm the bread of life. Right. Um, yeah. But, but the, whole, the, yeah. Whole, the whole context is about eating eating his flesh okay. and drinking his blood. He says, you, you have no part from me. So he comes with heavenly backing. John 3, I think, is talking about heavenly knowledge. It, I think the backdrop verse to that is Proverbs 30. Who hath ascended into heaven or descended? Um, it, it, it's talking about Nobody has heavenly knowledge as Yeshua does. If I told you earthly things and you believe me, how will you not believe if I tell you heaven, heavenly things? No man hath ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. So he has heavenly backing. He came down from heaven in the same sense that John's baptism came from heaven. It has the authority of Yahweh behind it. That's what I was going to say, too, is that John the Baptist says, uh, or Yeshua asks the rhetorical question, does John the Baptist's baptism come from heaven or from man? The answer is from heaven, but we don't think that 
the river okay. Jordan or the water that John used literally came down from from above. Now, there are definitely John three, um, some other places, Matthew three. There are definitely places where he says that, you know, um, my authority is given me by the father. So if we know the father's in heaven, then it's logical to conclude that, you know, his authority comes from heaven. But so we're just so OK. So. I see. So I think a lot of this comes upon interpretive stance as far as some places it's a word interpreted differently. Other places sure. it's looking at a different contextual interpretation. Sure. Um, and then there's some other places, though, that I've you know, how what is anyone ever asked you guys about all these mentions where Jesus says he's sent from heaven? Yeah, to be sent from heaven is to be sent by the father. And I believe the prophets could have said that they were sent by the father also. Or most yeah, but they, yeah. none of them, none of them claim to be sent from heaven, though. No, not one prophet. Yeah, I would say, I would say virgin conception. That's what I would say. He's the stone that broke off of the mountain without the hand of a man, Daniel two virgin okay. conception. So yeah, I, I have no problem with that, but, sent but doesn't, from doesn't father, that mean, okay. So to say sent from heaven equals virgin conception, that's still the womb of a woman on the earth. And then he's ordained and commissioned. We don't really get that part of the story of his childhood to know how he came into the, the full awareness of him being the Messiah. Um, it's, you know, great, greatly debated by scholars. Right. But OK, so I just I, I don't know, I guess yeah. you know, it's, it's OK if we disagree. But I definitely I definitely don't see that connection as far as saying he's the only prophet ever to claim he's sent down from heaven to mean he's born of a woman. I, and he's the only man ever to be born of a virgin. So he didn't have an, he didn't have an earthly father. Yahweh okay. was his father. He was uniquely begotten. I love you, brothers. I've got to, yeah. I've got to go. I don't want to go, but I, I yeah. have to. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Matthew. I really yeah, appreciate you for being here. Understandings. Yeah, I love yeah. all of you. I, I don't know if I even know. Oh, here we go. Listen, y'all have a good rest of the evening. Don't have too much fun without me. <laughs> have a good time. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Got to hear some Shalom. good perspective. Shalom to you. Sweet, John. Do you want to add on to what he was saying? Oh no, I just took a screenshot, a uh, snippet of uh, your uh, uh, sent from heaven. And I'm going to go through some of those and make sure that I've combed through all of it. I like taking the hardest topics and going through it. I try to take the smartest Trinitarians, Michael Brown, you know, Dr. White, and say, okay, what do they have? What's their biggest ace card? And so, yeah, um, yeah I'd like to go through this one because what you're saying is no one else has ever been said to be sent by the from heaven, correct? I never, never heard of a prophet amongst men that ever claimed that. Other than okay. angel, angels, so the only right, yeah, right. yeah. So I guess in that in that regard, uh, for the sake of the audience, um, I know there's people shouting in the audience this passage. So here here is the moment you get to address this passage, John, John, John seventeen five. five. <laughs> I know you've been waiting on it. No, I just thought it's like the go to number one most favorite Yeshua pre existed Bible verse. So I guess I was I was waiting for it, waiting for it. So sure. How do you guys handle this one? So pretty much it's uh, it's his glory that he had from from, you know, from the beginning promised by the father. And he's asking to have that glory now as he has accomplished everything that he was told to do. And he's re resurrected as a glorified being. Now, respectfully, and, this is before the resurrection. And, he, mm -hmm. and you added a word in the verse that's not there just then. So this What's is that? not this is this is not the, the glory that he had. This is this is him saying the glory that I had when I was with you before the world mm -hmm. was. 
No, yeah. So what I was saying is that he just is about to finish his ministry in John 17, I believe, is right when he's about to finish his ministry. Correct. Yeah, he's he's this is like right before the cross. He says, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Yeah. So to to address what you were saying is that, you know, he hasn't died yet. This is he's speaking because he's speaking as if he's about to finish up his ministry. And uh, pretty much saying, I did, did everything you asked. I'm about to die on the cross. So give me that glory at the resurrection that everything has been mentioned of in the in the Torah that I've read about. We know that that glory has been there from the beginning, the, the promise, the plan, everything. And that now he's saying, let me have it. I've, you're, I've, you're saying he's assuming into his statement your your uh, your already stated interpretation tonight, which is his glory was just in the mind, will, intention of the Father, and that Yeshua mm -hmm. is assuming that in this statement. Who's who's assuming what? I'm I'm multitasking. I'm trying to. Okay. Uh, you want me to give you a minute? Here. Yeah, okay. you're good. First, so in in John seventeen five on screen in front of us, where it says mm -hmm. the glory which I had with you before right. the world was. Right. So he's already he's already signified in this passage together with yourself, glorify me together with yourself with. And now he's doing a he's referencing something with the past right. tense, the glory I had with you before the world was. Right. Um, so this is not post cross. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. We understand he's going to be glorified. That is the promise of of his resurrection uh, and being uh, exalted at the right hand of the father um, in our in his high priestly position. That is that was prophesied of him, and that was the intention for the Messiah. Mm -hmm. But that's that just uh, doesn't seem to be the wording here. Yeah, so this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the heterosis or the prophetic perfect. So just because Yeshua is speaking in past tense doesn't mean that it's happened in the past. But then when someone, when Yahweh promises something, it's as good as done. And so you can't speak of it in a past tense language. I have a couple verses I want to share. First Peter 1, 19 to 21 says, But with the precious blood of Messiah, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, mm -hmm. but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of uh, you who through him are believers in Elohim, Yahweh, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory right there. He gave him the glory when he raised him from the dead. It doesn't mention that he had glory before that. Um, and the other verse I wanted to share was Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, again, the Logos, and this is like, I'm not even doing justice with what Logos means. So I always encourage everybody to please study it from a Unitarian perspective. And not only that, if you want, check out my channel. I've gotten like 30 something videos that pertain to Philippians 2, John 1, 1, all these verses. But it says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we can't even say, give me the glory that was given to me, or let me, let me look at it exactly word for word. So you don't think I'm. It's okay. I'm bringing it up here. on screen for you. No, I, I, you did well with it. I'm bringing it up on screen for everybody to see. Um, because yeah, I mean, it, this is, uh, the, to me, this would fall in complete synchronous synchronous with the idea the promise of the resurrection. So this is the promise of the covenant given to all of mankind is that, you know, you, you're going to get at the resurrection. You get the laws of God on your heart. You never sin again. First Enoch five, six through nine. It states that clearly you never sin again. So you're never subject to the divine anger or wrath of God. Um, and yes, if Yeshua never sinned, 
he's a perfect example of how to be as a man. And we get that same behavior at the resurrection. This will make perfect sense that he did predestine those whom he foreknew. So that's, I mean, so everyone that's going to take part in that first resurrection as a saint of God is going to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, I also wanted to include verse 30, and I should have, and I, I guess I didn't even see that I wrote 29 to 30, but that word glorified is past tense there in regards to us. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he justified past tense, and those he justified yeah. past tense, he glorified past tense. But we know this is all in the future. Now, we definitely agree. That's why I was mentioning as prolepsis. I just didn't hear the the the, the synonym to it as heterosis. But um, we definitely agree that there is a literary concept used all throughout Old and New Testament, mostly in the New Testament. And was, we would commonly refer to it on my channel as prolepsis, where it speaks I'm about things of the promise of the covenant that haven't happened yet, mm -hmm. as if they've already happened, because you're so sure that God is going to do it. You know he's not going to fail to achieve, to fulfill that promise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I see, I see that point that you're making there. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm going to start trying to say prolepsis because maybe, like you're saying, heterosis sounds too much like a cancer. So, <laughs> <laughs> I had to look that up. I hadn't heard of that either. But the only definition I came up with was uh, the tendency of a crossbred individual to show qualities superior to those of both parents. Maybe there's a different different definition. In yeah, and, and uh, maybe once we publish this video, I'm going to put the correct spelling and, and wordage of all that. Um, cool. But not only that, but if you want to find an easier way, just put in prophetic perfect, you know, Hebrew writings, prophetic perfect. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, West plays any other verses you wanted to talk about or look at? Uh, I have questions just, too, by the way. I didn't know if I could ask. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, for cool. sure. Go West plays, if go you have it. any Okay, well, I was just going to say about John 17, 5, just when he said, with the glory which I had with you before the world was, just the way I interpret these words, it just sounds like if, if you and I had a sandwich yesterday, and I had that sandwich with you, we split it down the middle, I shared it with you, I don't, I wouldn't assume that, that I have to have been born today and didn't exist yesterday. So that, that's just how I read it, but that he did literally exist and had the glory with the Father before the world was. Right. But, I understand there's a, a different way to interpret it. I, I see. Um, there's like this whole chapter, there's a couple of verses that I could have pointed out, but I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on that because I actually want to ask a lot of questions. No, just three questions, actually. <laughs> I speak hyperbolically sometimes. Uh, so I guess the one question I have is, you know, Yeshua was born. It says that he had to grow in wisdom, but yet you guys believe that he was from the beginning in Genesis. If he is well, from no, the beginning... Well, well, that's a straw man real quick that that we don't believe that would be a trinitarian hypostatic union mindset we're not trinitarians so we we don't believe that we believe that he existed before he was born of the, of the womb of a woman but we don't assume that just the moment he he's birthed into the birth canal in the womb of mary that he had all the fullness of knowledge and wisdom okay but you we, you we actually try to make a distinction that he actually changed natures the yeah. same two natures that Paul tries to expound upon in First Corinthians mm -hmm. 15. Uh, he went from the spiritual to the earthy, mm -hmm. right? And so then at the resurrection, he goes back to the spiritual. But I would actually infer from First Corinthians that he's actually a new creation because he's the first among mankind to be glorified. That's never happened before until until his resurrection. But I'm sorry to digress. You're good. I mean, I, I wasn't going to go with the idea that he's, you know, just like Yahweh with e eternal, forever, infinite wisdom. But what I was saying is, like, if you're alive for at least 50 to 60 to 80 years, you got some wisdom, right? So Yeshua, if he preexisted as for, let's just say, 4,000 years, um, 
you know, th there's a lot of wisdom there. You know, there's a lot of time of existence to grow wisdom. And yet when he's born, it says that he had to grow in wisdom. See, what you guys believe is that he had a lot of wisdom because of his 4,000 year or roughly 4,000 year existence from no. Genesis to M Matthew. And then from Matthew, he kind of had to start over. Westways, do you want to? Do you want to? I'd be again? curious to hear what you have to say about it. No, I'm. I'm not saying that he had to start. This is what I mentioned earlier. We don't have any kind of documentation on other than the moment when he's at the temple when he's around 12 years old or so, and he tells his mother and father, "I must be about my father's business." You know, um, how did he know to say that? What? Who's? You know, what did, was the story of the angel appearing both to his uncle John? whom John was mute for until he actually decided to name, or excuse me, Zacharias uh, until did he hear that story about, you know, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth's uh, angelic interaction um, at the temple versus Mary's interaction and Joseph with the angel explaining and announcing the birth of Jesus. And I mean, was all that explained to him and he, he grew up with this amazing humility to be able to, to process that concept and then go forward in obedience you know what I'm saying? A lot of that's just not explained. Like, like not. you said, Luke, Luke 2.42 just says he grew in stature and wisdom. Um, because I would seems, also, Go ahead. Oh, I would also propose just the idea that he was a spectator for the most part and had some wisdom in, in the heavens as conceptual, but had not actually lived it amongst men. Whereas when he was born of the flesh, grew in wisdom, that was experiential maybe. It's just one way that I, that comes to that, mind. Yeah, John, this actually goes, I mean, because what you're asking is kind of like, a, it's kind of like a, a, a functional, let me take this off screen real quick. It's kind of like a functional question as far as like, um, it does relate to what, what Wes is getting at as far as if God is the father in heaven above, right? Psalm 130 or Psalm 33, one, like he views mankind like grasshoppers on the earth. And Wes Blaze and I have tried to emphatically with, you know, we're in season two now of an entire series where we go over the creation model and all the descriptions and the definitions of the words, the use and context and fleshing out all the 500 plus descriptions that the father gives us of his creation model and what he made and where he is at the top of that creation model, how we can look down on the earth, on the sons of men and their activities, and that there's an angelic priesthood involved in that are his servants that go out and literally record the deeds of every man on the earth, whom then report back to a hierarchy of angelic priesthoods in the heavens above. What, what is Yeshua's experience? If he did pre-exist, what is his experience up there? It's not like they're just standing on top of a big glass dome looking at mankind, right? There's literally an entire structural hierarchy of angelic priests that relay the good and the bad of mankind uh, for judgment. And so the, the house of God can make atonement uh, over, over Israel's Testament Levi mentions. But ultimately, you know, it's not like Yeshua is just playing the video game of mankind, you know, in his high penthouse, you know, and he gets to look and then he's like, oh, I can do that. I've played it so much or I've seen it. I've seen it happen so much. I know exactly how to behave when I come down there. So no, we're not saying that either. We're not saying he carried over any wisdom, but at the same time, I've got to admit there's nothing stated in the scriptures that helps me definitively declare how he knew within his heart of hearts as a young man growing up and hearing and believing his parents story about him. And, and, you know, did angels appear to him and kind of talk to him from time to time and validate, like we see with all the other patriarchs and the prophets, like they had a ton of angelic visitation to really affirm that they were anointed as a prophet of God. And like, they were on the right track and they weren't crazy. And you know what I'm saying? So like, we don't get that with Yeshua. We get, 
you know, he's, he's born, he's 12. And then suddenly he's, he's around 30 ish. You know what I mean? Like we don't get that. So, um, I, I don't, don't believe in a hypostatic concept, um, because I don't think the scriptures teach that I do believe he was fully man while he was in the flesh, but as Hebrews five, seven through 10 explains that was while his days are in the flesh and now he's been glorified and he's out of the flesh. Um, I do see, you know, things like John 17, 5, Philippians 2, 7, 1st, 48 and other passages to announce that he was sent from God, from heaven to be manifested. 1st Timothy 3, 16. That would be the next uh, passage, John, I'd love for you to, to, to talk on uh, how you guys interpret 1st Timothy 3, 16, because, you know, he's uh, manifested in the flesh. To me, this would go back to Philippians 2, 7, right? Being found in the appearance of man. So what do you guys think about that? Or what Matthew was referring to earlier as an incarnation, right? The mystery of God, godliness that he manifested in the flesh or incarnated, if you want to use that word. Yeah. I'm trying to pull it up right now. and uh, Okay. I'll put it on screen just, for us. Okay. First Timothy 3. I like it the whole chapter. Nice and contexty. And the translation or the version can, can matter because you know a lot of, a lot of trinitarians will use the king james it just says god was manifest in the flesh but we have a, a different understanding of the definition of elohim and theos than most trinitarians do obviously yeah yeah because they always want to make it even though they you try to get them to define it they end mm-hmm. up tripping over themselves but they always want to make it yeah like so name first, for the godhead yeah for, and you know there's like oh man you guys have debated trinitarians there's got to be hundreds of verses that you can always have to be prepared to give an answer to. And so some of them aren't uh, addressed for long periods of time. And so someone pulls it up and you're like, let me dust this thing off real quick. (laughs) So I'm I'm dusting off first uh, Timothy three real quick, but uh, from the translation of NASB new American standard Bible, it says that he who was revealed in the flesh and it's bringing back some jogging my memory that there are translations that say he, instead of, um, God was revealed in the flesh, right? Is that where we're going with this? Yeah, the he being the Messiah, yeah. Yeshua. Just, yeah, just like what's the whole point? And this is what Paul, we, we've tried to explain okay. to Trinitarians. This is what Paul is explaining as the mystery of godliness, which is the transition from someone that's not of the flesh being revealed or being appeared in the flesh and then being taken up in glory again. So that's that transition from spiritual being to mortal fleshly being back to an eternal spiritual being that's that process that's considered the mystery of god because paul doesn't know how does this work which is pretty much matthew's question like an hour ago which was like how does this actually happen like how does he go from an eternal nature into a non-eternal nature you know and that's why i believe paul's telling us this is a mystery like he even paul doesn't know yeah so i i guess i didn't get to say this earlier but I don't believe Yeshua is not a human today. I do believe he's a glorified man today. Uh, verses that I go to would be like when he resurrected. Um, you know, he, he said, touch my flesh, put your fingers in my womb and, uh, you know, prove but you, but that you I'm would not agree that he's a glorified man, right? Yeah, but he's a human uh, with a heart, blood, veins. Yeah, but glorified, man. you know, in the sense that he's eternal. He's seated at the right hand of the father and he's in charge, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was the promise of the covenant was that man would be glorified even above the angels. Um, and that's that's the beauty of it. Right. The the last become first. But ultimately, he does have more capability than a regular man. So you're not saying like he's still a normal mortal man. 
He's definitely he shown ever... he's got more capability. He's got this is what Yeshua promises us in Luke 20, verse 36, that we'll be made like the angels at the resurrection. Yeah. What was that first what? What's that? You you just quoted a verse. What was that? Uh Luke 20, verse 36. Okay. Because I thought you were going with the first Peter one, which I thought was perfect because it says that we will be given a divine nature also and that mm-hmm. I don't believe we're going to resurrect as non-humans. And it's just an example to, 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 to compare like Yeshua is the firstborn of what we will become. We're all going to resurrect as humans, but with glorified bodies, meaning sinless with authority to judge the angels and nations and stuff like that. But we don't tr- trans trans transfer into like a non-human or nothing. No, I like to call them superhumans, resurrected yeah, superhumans. superhumans. Yeah. So I always try to point back to this passage on screen here, just as a, I believe Paul does a masterful job at explaining the difference of the two natures and what's promised to us of the resurrection. Okay. So he says in verse 42, so it, will it be with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown in, as perishable is raised imperishable. It's sown mm-hmm. in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. So I do believe that we're still man, but we're glorified and we are given a spiritual body. So mm-hmm. we're not given the same body that was made in Genesis 2-7 from the dirt of the earth and the breath of God. We are okay. given a spiritual body like the angels that is immortal and eternal, except mm-hmm. we just have a different, we have a, a better advantage than the angels. We get the actual fulfillments of the laws being written on our hearts so that we never sin again. Um to my understanding, that was never promised to angels because they already had an eternal nature, and we know they can sin. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that, yeah, we disagree on that too. Then, <laughs> you you well, think that angels cannot sin? You believe in Satan, don't you? Yeah, I don't. I don't believe in Satan or fallen angels or none of that. I don't believe in in the devil, Satan. You don't believe in Azazel? I believe the word Satan means adversary, and it's a more of a title, but not that there's a specific person that fell from heaven. But. Do you believe in Peter? Was it Peter three? Uh, the angels that sinned chained up in Tartarus. Yeah, I think that, uh, I, I, again, have to that dust off some verses, but I believe that has a lot to do with humans or messengers. Wait a minute. So do you, do you believe that there are angels? Yeah, but there aren't fallen angels and that fallen angels, I don't believe fallen angels procreated with women and, and made, you know, Understood. I'm not trying to sound condescending, but, you know, angel, That's human, right. demon things. Oh, Okay. Well, then, uh, interesting. So, um, isn't with, it? Uh, by the way, isn't it cool how everything's connected? Like, overlap. It is connected. Yeah. It's. It's this like is, that's why when you're like prove it, showing me Enoch, I'm like, this is, this is so wild because I don't accept Enoch, and then there's this whole thing about what is scripture, and it's like everything's connected, man. Have you ever seen our context tree from where we started this channel, Kingdom in Context? Yeah, I listened to Kingdom in Context. Yeah. But have you ever seen our context tree? Ah, no, sorry, no. It's a little graphic where I have different themes of the scriptures, and there's 13 different themes all throughout scripture on the context tree as its branches. Okay. Um, and I made that a long time ago because that was, I realized it was all connected. All these topics are connected, you know? Yep. So that that's interesting. If you don't mind me, slight, slight little variance here. Um, if you don't think that um, the angels rebelled or 200 angels rebelled and took wives and had unclean spirits, by them, then where do you see the origination of demons that tempted Yeshua that he had to cast out of people in the Gospels? Uh, you know, for a lack, I'm, there's probably really good scholarly wording for all this, but simple layman terms, I believe that uh, demons don't exist. It's more of a mental illness or the flesh. Oh, okay. What do you think was changing? Okay, 
So I know, I know. We're out in left field playing a different sport now. My bad. Yep. Different <laughs> show almost, but that's all right. It's fun to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, so many questions. Oh, have, you heard of, um, have you heard of Christadelphians? Mm-mm. Not not really. Well, they're a very small sect of Christians, but they believe pretty much what I believe in, in demonology, the study of demons. And uh, if I could share that with you, man, I feel like they could do way more justice than me when it comes to explaining what I believe is actually the first century perspective of demonology and Satan. Okay. Yeah, well, so quick question, and we can move back back to the main topic. Um, I don't want to confuse the audience. Revelation. My only question in this regard: Revelation twenty, verse verse one through three. Who's Michael chaining up with a great chain? The dragon. Yeah. Yeah, but who is in your perspective, John? Who would that be? Well, uh, I believe dragons and beasts and, and whatnot are all in reference to empires and or. Well, Rev- no, wait, well, sorry to interrupt you, but Revelation does define this for us. Like it tells us directly in Revelation 12, 17, it's the dragon, Satan. It's It tells you who the, the reference of the dragon is. It's actually Satan right. character. Right. right. And we could say like Babylon is Satan, like Satan is used and seen as an adversary. So like when you when you see Balaam walking to to do his his work, he's riding his donkey, the good angel is called Hasatan. So the word hate Satan is uh, more of a title for anyone who's an adversary. And I think Yahweh himself says, I will be a Hasatan to you. But I have to Google it and find out where that's at. But he does say, I will be a Satan to you. So it's more of an adversary, whether you're good or bad. Well, no, we, we definitely agree that there's words in Hebrew that can be used according to, you know, that, that one, one word can be used um, in a different context, you know, and have, you know, like the word Adam, Adama, right, can mean the red dirt, but we also know, you know, it's literally the word for Adam, right? We get that. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you on Revelation 12 that it is Satan because the, the beast, whether that's an empire or a conscious uh, spiritual being, it is an adversary. So either way, we're right, you know. Well, no, the beast is not Satan in the book of Revelation. Those are two different things. Uh, or the, the dragon. Sorry, I meant to say dragon. Yeah. Yeah, so Michael comes down with a chain at the return of Yeshua, and he wraps up the actual dragon, which it says specifically is the old serpent and Satan, Mm -hmm. Um, not an empire. He doesn't wrap up a a thought process or a bad thought process. Like he wrapped, it says, and that literal wrapped up entity is put in a hole in the ground for a thousand years. Um, Okay, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I I never heard that. Do you believe in the serpent seed doctrine? No. I've actually done an entire debate with uh, Zen Garcia on my channel uh, debunking okay. that. Yeah, because yeah. I was thinking, you know, if, if that's, that snake, that serpent in the garden is that dragon, and in the beginning Genesis that says that through his seed and through her seed, there will be contention, and so we would have to start saying, well, who's the descendant of the serpent? Who's the seed of the serpent? What? It's always hey, man. Do you, do you believe in the serpent seed doctrine? No, no, but I was just okay. going to say that the descendants of the ser- serpent is humans that the enemy of israel were humans right well i think Yeshua kind of expounds in uh in john chapter 8 where he's talking about if you were the seed of abraham you'd do the deeds of abraham instead mm-hmm. you're the you're the children of the devil because you do the deeds there we of go the devil. that's a great example yeah you know but it, i mean but it doesn't negate the fact that there's an actual devil <laughs> yeah. so just like it doesn't negate the fact there was an actual abraham you know mm-hmm. so like you know, um, but either way, that's okay. Uh, sorry, sorry to get distracted. You, you no, you're okay. I, I love that topic. I just wasn't prepared for it. I uh, that's right. I could have had notes on it. I I have a lot of good videos on it. If you don't mind checking them out. Interesting. 
Yeah, we don't believe that angels were kicked out of heaven after some kind of pre-Adamic war in heaven, as is kind of often implied and taught in a yeah. lot of mainstream theologies even. But um, we would we would say that there was a group of angels that were sent to earth to help mankind and that they, they rebelled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then it's 2 Peter 2, 4 that says God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into dark into Tartarus, committed mm-hmm. them into the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And it's comparing the angels there to mankind. He's like, so what did he say in the next verse? Like, don't, what are you going to, what is he going to do to us if we sin? So God didn't spare angels. So I would say that the angels there couldn't be just regular messengers. How do you interpret that? You said you thought it was, it would just be a, a messenger of like man. Yeah. Like Angelos, the Greek word Angelos is messenger, which we know it could be a human or an angel angelic being in that, to be cast into the grave until judgment day, you know, could be death. Cause we all believe, I believe in soul sleep, not hell, like conscious eternal torment or nothing like that. ECT. <laughs> yeah. You we don't you... believe in ECT, but we, we do believe there's a distinguishment between the, the place where the souls of mankind wait in resurrection versus Tartarus. Tartarus is a specific word used by Peter, which has a historical definition in the Hebrew scriptures, which is a place separate from Sheol. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's specifically just for the angels who sent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or Abaddon in the Hebrew, as we've come to connect it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I have to go back and look at two Peter then. Yeah, man. I'm sorry to distract you. I think you're trying to address first Timothy three 16, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we got a little off. We did. But cause we started getting into the idea of how is the resurrection defined? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just trying to ask about this passage here of, you know, how he appeared in the flesh. Um, you know, so I just thought that's like, I, my, my biggest thing is like, why even all these references, you know, of him being sent from heaven, becoming, you know, in the flesh overshadowed by the Holy spirit, not just born, you know, like there's, there's a, there's a lot of things that have to be in reinterpreted or, uh, and I know that may sound condescending. I don't mean like that. But like, there's a lot of things that has to take on a very special interpretation, in my understanding, to 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 uh, override what I feel is plainly spoken, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, he he found himself in the appearance of a man because he existed, um, as multiple texts say, and specifically he existed in the form of Elohim before mm-hmm. he found himself in the appearance of man. Um, that's just, uh, I think, my biggest sticking point with this thought process um, that he didn't pre-exist. And like I said earlier, I got, you know, John, like 18, 38, he's, he's saying, you know, my kingdom is not of this earth. That, that's just the way I view, like, he's already understood that he's he's been named over the angels as the authority over them underneath the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28, or 24 through 28 expound that even though Yeshua was given all this authority in heaven and earth, he was not subjected. He was not over the Father. The Father is still over him. You know what I mean? So like even in heaven above, before he sent on this mission, he had a kingdom. And that's why in, like in Matthew 12, he talks about, I, you know, at any moment I could have my father dispatch 12 legions of angels. You know what I'm saying? Like he has authority that he had a whole kingdom. But he stepped down from that to take on this role, this mission of, of being the servant for this purpose. That's how I understand it, at least. And we're we're in agreement with that. I guess the only difference is that I saw it as him being born, growing in wisdom, i.e. the Torah, and understanding through maybe his mom teaching him or angels visiting him or all of the above with the Holy Spirit fully empowering him. He's seeing all the promises in Torah of him being the Messiah. 
who knows? He had my maybe a bunch of visions and dreams and understandings of like, you're the guy, you know, and he had that fullness of the Holy Spirit. And as he grew in wisdom and understood what his rightful place is as king, and he literally can perform miracles and judge and raise the dead and whatnot, you know, uh, he stepped down when he started his ministry and said, first, I must lay down my life for my sheep. When I come back, I will be given what I deserve. I mean, rightfully have, it's just the king being the king. It's just the starting point, really. Your starting point is, uh, I want to say before Genesis, you know, and mine is his birth. We're only 4,000 years off. <laughs> well, brother, I just want to appreciate you real quick, John. You could have, you know, since you don't, you haven't studied out Enoch um, to the point where you've you've accepted that it's, Holy Spirit inspired scripture, maybe, you know, you, when we've leaned on that at all tonight, you could have just said, why are we even looking at this? But you've been really gracious yeah, letting, us, letting us talk about what, what our understandings of that text is. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, I think it's, uh, it's important that we understand where we, each of us are coming from. And if I never take, if I never shut my mouth and listen, I'll never understand what someone's coming from. And if I never take the time to learn what someone, where someone's coming from, why should they listen to me? You know? Yeah. Well said. Thanks. Cool, cool. I think I've exhausted my points for the night, or my questions, yeah. I should say. Um, yeah, I'm, did John, I'm did you did you said you had some questions for us? Uh, I have one. Man. Yeah, one. I'm more. sorry. You, West, did you say John or Westblave? John, you said you had questions for us. Um, I have one more, and then after that, I don't mind praying and wrapping it up. All right. But I think I can answer it because after listening to you guys, I'm like, oh, this is what they'll say. So let's see, uh, Balaam. He's prophesying over Israel because he was paid to curse him, but he couldn't. And when he prophesied over him, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not not nay or whatever the old word is. Pretty much saying, I can see the coming Messiah through my prophetic vision, but he's not here and he's not among Israel and he's not in this time or place. And, you know, I, I would obviously say, well, if he preexisted, why can't, why isn't he mentioned like, here he is. He's in heaven. He's concealed, right? Because Enoch had prophecy and he's like, he's concealed, but I see him because I have the gift of prophecy. But he, uh, Balaam well, said, I, I don't see him until the coming uh, first century, right? Just to clarify real quick, Enoch, Enoch's, uh, uh, you know, citation, uh, that's the wrong word. Um, Enoch's declaration of seeing the son of man uh, was not uh, considered a prophetic speech. It okay. was an actual vision. Okay. So this was a moment where he's given a vision where it says my, you know, at that moment, my spirit was translated. He's seeing things in heaven above. He's and he's got angels actually showing him a vision. I don't know how this works according to physics, but apparently they can when they show up, they can like, you know, they can show you a vision. And this is this is consistent with what you see all throughout Enoch because he's interacting with angels everywhere. Um, and this is why he's he doesn't literally his physical body doesn't go to heaven, but he's shown a vision of heaven and what's going on just like yeah. uh, abraham is in genesis 15 and and other you know just like same Paul. thing with john right john the revelator yeah, and john the island of patmos absolutely right You're seeing a vision of things in heaven happening so to my thing you know even if we left enoch out of the situation and you're referencing balaam um as as some sort of litmus test i would say well daniel had a vision of seeing the son of man um but he saw him in future after he's already ruling over the nations. Yeah. You see what I mean? But um, I just think it's interesting that, you know, if, if we're, I personally, and I haven't really talked about this on my channel, but 
I'm wondering because I've done so much research on the Septuagint versus the Masoretic. I don't know what your your line of inquiry is on that, or if like you have experience with that. Yeah, so just if you ever want to research it, um, you know, it's created about a thousand years later, and there's a lot of things that we see quoted in the New Testament that you only find in the Septuagint because that was the the actual scrolls they would have had during that day, mm -hmm. not the Masoretic. So, um, but when you look at how much has been slightly shaded to hide the Messiah in the Masoretic, whereas yeah. the Septuagint just is like super bold. One of the verses we mentioned tonight, Psalm 110, verse 3, um, it's very interesting to, to me, to makes me wonder if these passages I read in Isaiah where it says, and, um, and the, what does it say? It say, uh, Yahweh spoke and the Holy One of Israel says to, says to me to relate to the people, right? And it makes me wonder, is that just a Hebraic, way of speaking where they add on to multiple titles when introducing who's speaking, or is it the almighty and the Holy one of Israel, the set apart one of Israel, that would be Yeshua. Um, is he speaking also? And they're both in agreement with this message, just like we see in John's vision in revelation, the almighty and the lamb are in agreement with the message. That's why Jesus is called the testimony of Jesus in agreement with what's being spoken from God to Jesus, to an angel, to John on the island of Patmos. So that's why Jesus is the testimony because he's testifying that this message is valid and true and he's relaying it to his angel who then goes and gives it to John. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that'd be another verse I'd love to ask you about since you don't believe in angels, but we, we can shelf that for another, maybe another yeah. night we can have you on and you can talk about how well, you said fallen and angels. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I hope you guys uh, bring me back on because I enjoyed this. I, I hope you do for invite sure, me buddy. again. There's there's several things I want to talk about atonement theory with you because I'm like, yeah. there's so many verses I want to ask you about how is yeah, well, we had a, we were trying to get together um, a substitutionary atonement roundtable discussion, kind of like we're having tonight. Um, mm -hmm. Except tonight was a little different. You know, we intentionally had you and Matthew Jensen on who believe one way, and but but I think we all agree on the substitutionary atonement concept, and we just would like to flesh it out because Trinitarian thought process abuses that concept so badly yeah created being can't be my savior yeah 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 so like uh i'm trying to get that together but um we we're gonna have ken heidebrecht on from making those words he just went through a hurricane was out without power for like five days um marlo's in the chat but he responded to my email five days too late so i couldn't organize either marlo check your emails every day brother so <laughs> so, I, so I was trying to have i was trying to get together a bunch of us brothers but it's just really hard with everyone's schedules so yeah. we'll keep trying and okay. we'll keep trying to organize that because i would love to talk about substitutionary atonement how it's misrepresented how it's actually talked about in the scriptures and see what everybody thinks because okay. i've done a whole video on it but um you know just i get you know i get uh i feel like i i feel like there's a point where my videos grow to like three, three, 4,000 views. And then YouTube stops recommending it forever. They just like hide it away in a hidey hole and it never <laughs> grows again, you know? And yeah. you're like, wait a minute. So even yeah. if you were just recommending it at a, at a 10th of the pace that you were in the first two weeks, right. people should still be viewing it. Why is no one viewing it anymore? It's like, they yeah. just hide it forever. I, I don't want to sound bitter, but I, I am so sure I'm shadow banned because, uh, there's For no sure. reason why I get the 300, 400 views like in two days. And then it just hits a wall. Yeah. And I'm like, what, where's this wall coming from? Somebody's got to stumble upon it and say, I, I want to know this topic. It's so really? weird. And yeah, I think you it's too. I, I, I think it's Marlo, I'm just giving you a hard time in the, in the live <laughs> chat, bro. But, with, but, but yeah, I need to get a, a more um, reliable way to communicate with Marlo because he's not on Facebook anymore. <laughs>
YouTube just also today uh, for videos that were posted a year or more a more ago, YouTube hit me with two copyright strikes, not just claims mm. on my main channel and like at once. So all they have to do is come up with a third and Westwood's yeah. music is gone, <laughs> bro. So wow. it is it's crazy that. Yeah. And I just wish that there was a way that they would tell you, hey, there is a copyright on this video when you upload it so that you didn't have the choice to yep. go through you know they don't they don't do this to you and sometimes they wait a year or more before they tell you right. oh there's a strike on it right ah, it's frustrating yeah i honestly think what that is um for some of that is that they've they take their crawling uh whatever whatever they're called and they crawl all of youtube you know to find certain sounds and things spider and they'll 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 crawl youtube and find a a formerly or a copyright music they'll find that and then they'll go to that person who made it and buy it from them. So then they'll copyright it. So then they can retroactively then go and claim it on all those videos that's been used on. And they might do this towards channels that they specifically disagree with or don't feel like are fitting for their advertisers or whatever the case. I would believe it. Wow. Very, very easy to do. Very easy. Yeah. Because it's like that's how you shut people down and give them strikes for no reason. And I mean, it's so easy, man. It's so unfair uh, the way they've got this thing set up. Mm. So, yeah. You guys mind if I pray before we wrap it up? Please. Yeah, do. you can pray, brother. Let's all hold hands. And, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> knuckle, knuckle up. Uh, thank you, Father, for these brothers in the faith. And thank you so much for Matthew Jensen, Wes Blaze, and Sean. Uh, they've given me the privilege to be able to join them at a roundtable discussion and discuss this topic. And I pray that uh, we were just a good example of what it means to be brotherly loved to give each other brotherly love, peace, patience, and kindness, and that we all are just humble enough to receive any sort of knowledge from what is Enoch, and if Enoch is scripture and certain verses, and we can all just come to you and at your presence and say, Father, show me, how should I read this? How should I interpret it? How should I understand if Yeshua preexisted or not? Because we all are just learning, and we all just want to know what the truth is, and we know that the Holy Spirit reveals it to those who are seeking earnestly. So we ask for wisdom, knowledge, and I just thank you again for giving me the chance to speak to these brothers and help everybody and the, the viewership enjoyed it. And we pray this in Yeshua's name, our Messiah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Amen, brother. Thank you guys for coming on tonight. Thank you everyone in the live chat um, for being here. Sorry, this was not a night that we intended for a bunch of questions. Uh, but as always, we I do lots of videos where we do Q&As. So hold your questions for next time. We appreciate it. Anything you guys want to talk about before we go as far as things going on with your channel? Oh, well, I'm going to, I've been trying to do a little bit of anti-missionary stuff, but then also I just like getting back into Christology. That's my number one thing. So I actually think I might do a John 17, five video, but that's kind of what I've been focusing on. If anybody's interested, jump on my channel and see what you think. And just for the audience, you, you said anti-missionary stuff. You mean you're, you're countering anti-missionaries? My bad. Yes. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not a president, dude. They'd be, they'd be taking little snippets of what I said and putting it on CNN. <laughs> Yeah, countering anti. As you see, Courtney Smith, she's pretty well known with the uh, countering anti missionaries, and um, yeah. Cool. All right, you guys go subscribe to John Lawson, check him out, um, and then as always, West Blaze and I are doing Uncommon Ground. I think we're scheduled next week to come back, right? On Uncommon Ground. Let's let's do it. Yeah, you said you're not available Wednesday though. No. Okay, I'll, I'll get with you on the day, but maybe one day later in the week. But we got uh, Sukkot coming up, and so All we're right. both going to be. Um, I'm going to be traveling, but others, yeah, we'll just, we're do our best, but ultimately if you haven't already gone over to West Blaze music 
and checked out on common ground be sure to do that it's one of the listed video or channels um even under kingdom of context as well so go subscribe to westways music as well please and thank you mm -hmm. i'll praise Bless to you the guys Father. so much thank you yeah much Thanks. love look forward to seeing you guys again we'll see you next time enjoyed it later everyone live chat we appreciate you guys and uh we will see you guys good good things are coming um more study guide books are on the way. I'm finishing up a few right now. And then we've got uh, uh, Wisdom Guard, as we've announced on socials and on our community tab here on YouTube, is a scripture trivia game we, we got being worked on, as well as the Kingdom in Context app is on the way. It's in under the approval process for, for both Android at, on the Play Store as well as Apple. And so, Lord willing, just a few more days and that'll be available for people to download. And then you can ensure that you never miss a notification when we upload a new video or we go live or we drop a new article um, or we make an announcement that you want to hear. So be looking for that, everybody. We appreciate everyone. We hope to see you next time.